Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone. Your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. How's it, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Command Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lee Kwai. And I'm DJ. And we are here talking about Modern Horizons 2. Oh my gosh, I love Modern Horizons, just the whole thing, and there's so many great legendaries here, and they're, some of them are quirky and weird. I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, I made a joke on Twitter that this uh, set reminded me of an unset, some of the stuff they've got going on. There are 17 new legendary creatures that can be your commander. Actually, 16 plus a planeswalker. We'll talk about that. <laughs> but before we get into it, I mean, if you're listening to the stu- the set review or the new commander review for Modern Horizons 2, you've got to order those cards, and you can pre-order them right now at cardkingdom.com slash command zone. That's our affiliate link. You're going to buy magic cards anyway. If you just use that link when you purchase all that stuff, you really are getting the best deals around. You're getting the cards faster than anybody else. They're always in great condition. Card Kingdom has the best customer service. They really are the ble- the best place to buy all of your cards. Uh And especially for new sets, I say this every time, but it's very important to me. I don't know about you, DJ, when I get a new set, when a new set's coming out, when I'm ordering, I want that stuff when the set, like the fastest available moment. When I'm hyped about new cards, like I want them to go in my decks right now. Yeah, you don't want to order sometimes some other vendors you order and they don't even ship for like a week or so after or maybe longer, God forbid, uh, after the sets come out. And sometimes like your friends have their cards and you don't have your cards and it just feels so bad. Yeah, Card Kingdom will ship this stuff out as fast as they're allowed to and get them to you on your doorstep ASAP. And then once you have all that stuff, you want to protect it. You want to use Ultra Pro products. You want to put all this stuff in nice Pro Glossy Clip sleeves. You want to play it onto a nice Ultra Pro playmat. They really do have all of the themed stuff for every single set you want to maybe get some new theme sleeves around modern horizons so much good art in this set you definitely need some good art on your magic products yeah maybe you want to match your commander or whatnot uh also, Satin Tower Deck Boxes, Mythic Collection, Ultra Pro's stuff is super high quality and will protect all your game pieces, which is the most important part. And then finally, the last way to support all of our content is directly. Just go to patreon.com slash command zone and you get all kinds of perks like getting to watch game nights and extra turns a day early. We've been teasing this for a number of weeks now, but at the time you're watching this, I believe next week or June 9th, whatever that, whatever that is, <laughs> uh, that's when the Game Nights with Post Malone will be coming out. That is featuring some of the new cards from Modern Horizons Whoa. 2. Uh, yeah, Jimmy and I are both playing decks built around some of the new commanders. It's a really fun episode. Posty is uh, super into magic, and it's a really good game. If you want to watch that early, patreon.com slash command zone. That's, that's how you get access to it a day earlier, earlier than everybody else. All right. Enough to do. Let's get right into it because we got 17 new legendaries to talk about. Josh, there's one more perk about oh, yes. the patron. Man, you How many times me. do I remember? <laughs> thank, thank goodness. I think this is going to be a bit. The You're fi- going to do it on purpose from now on. <laughs> the final perk is uh, for patrons is we shout out one lucky patron every single episode. And this episode is dedicated to Jason Clissold. Jason, you rock. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, DJ, for not letting me forget that. Okay. 
uh, MH2, Modern Horizons 2, new Commander review. We're going to go through all 17. Let's just start right at the top. Here we go. It's a legendary ooze named, oh boy, I'm already going to have trouble with the name. Avi? Ave. If you were an ooze saying your own name, what would it sound like? That's the name of this legendary. It's, yeah. Evie Progenitor Ooze. Two green, green, green. Five mana for a 2-2. Two, two. It has Storm. So when you cast this spell, copy copy it for each spell cast before this turn. Copies become tokens. So if you've cast two other spells and then you cast Evie, Eve, Eve, whatever, uh, you'll have three copies of this, which you might say, it's legendary. That's not good. However, the next line of text says, uh, Eve Progenitor Ooze isn't legendary if it's a token. So those storm copies come in as non-legendary versions. And then it says, Eve enters the battlefield with uh, a plus one, plus one counter on it for each other ooze you control. So in that scenario, if you cast two spells, then this, each of them will enter at the same time. Storm, and- but storm storms resolve one at a time. Oh, right. So, it'll- so it's actually, you're going to have to like lay it out on the, on the battlefield oh my gosh, that's and you're going to have to like count how many you have and then storm copies resolve individually. So one but of them will enter. Let's say the other two spells were not oozes and you don't have any oozes out. So it'll come in, gets no one, one counters, no other oozes, right? Then the next one comes in, sees the first one and gets a one, one counter. Then the next one comes in, sees the first two and gets two plus one. Plus yes. One and the copies are going to resolve before the actual card commander card does so the commander card will be the biggest the one. last one and the biggest one okay um all right this is, this is the complicated nature of storm here we are storm is not an easy too. thing <laughs> by the way remember like the storm scale that everyone was talking about that right. storm is such a ridiculous mechanic that it's like so rare to be ever be reprinted like we've had a lot of storm cards like recently yes we have <laughs> <laughs> evidently mara's not in charge of everything um all right yeah, the first thing I look at when a card has Storm is the casting cost of that card because it's hard to cost to cast a lot of spells before it if it's a high CMC or a high mana value. And this one is. Five's a lot. Five is a lot. And so if we look at kills in other formats, maybe in cube or something like that, uh, things like Brain Freeze cost two mana and people use that one. Tendrils of Agony is a common way to kill people. Mm-hmm. That costs four, okay? Uh, five is just one more, but one, one more is a lot. One more ends up being a lot. Yeah. Uh, mine's desire is six, but that sometimes is really difficult to pull off. And so when you look at all the different storm cards, you know, some of them are very effective and some of them might not be as effective. And so we have to gauge, okay, well, how effective is this going to be at storm? One other thing to consider is that this is in your command zone. So pros, you always have access to your storm payoff cons every card has to be green in your deck. Yeah, and green isn't particularly good. It's not one of the storm colors, right? You think of blue generally when you think of storm. I just named blue and black cards. Empty the Warrens is another one that's a red card. So we just named a bunch of Grixis cards that have storm on it. And now we have a green commander card. So I actually like that it's opening up like a whole new color to kind of go into storm. Oh, but of course it's got to be green because green can't do enough stuff. So, you know, we're going to open up a new color to a new mechanic. Let's do it with green. All right. Sorry. It's too much complaining. Um, How many storm copies of this do you think it takes for you to be happy with casting Eve? Because I don't think you're happy just casting it for five and you only get a two, two. I mean, you know, that maybe gets one or two, uh, counters because you happen to have an ooze yeah, or two. Yeah, some other ooze is out there. Yeah, no, I, I want to cast 
Well, I'm thinking about it in terms of like a Biogenic Goose. I feel like right. that's a fine commander card. Not like super spectacular, um, but it's a fine commander card. So need, that's the threshold we need to meet. We need to go beyond that, really. To be happy. Yes. So, so it's like three, four oozes. Yeah. Or four storm copies. I honestly think it's like three or four storm copies. Wow. That seems like it's going to be hard to do. Let's talk about green because like we said, they're not great at storm, but they have some ability to do some stuff. Um, and they have some some combo-y stuff that might get them into a case where you basically kind of cast infinite eaves. Yeah, so like there are... <laughs> I feel like I'm in Wally every time I say Eve. Okay. Uh, there's, some, there's some cards that in green naturally let you cast things for very cheaply or free. Aloran is one of them. Two green green for an enchantment. Any player may play creature cards with converted mana cost three or less without paying their mana cost and as though they had flash. And so that's a thing that can definitely be broken and let you cast a bunch of things and then for free and then save your mana to cast your Eve after that. Uh, also cards like Pattern of Rebirth, uh, three and a green for an enchantment aura, enchant creature. When enchanted creature dies, that creature's controller may search their library for a creature card, put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. That essentially lets you sort of sacrifice Eve and get the combo pieces that you need to. So there's a few different green things that lets you manipulate creatures, cheat mana cost, stuff like that. Sure. And green is good at a few things that generally storm decks want. So storm decks want usually two things, which are rituals and card draw. Uh, you usually want to, the perfect spell is like Manamorphose, which you can't play in this deck, but it's like creates mana and draws you a card. And that's really what you want to do. Cause what you want to do is cast a spell that leaves you either up mana mm -hmm. or even on mana and either up cards or even on cards. So I cast a card and I replace the card and I'm uh, and it, the card that I cast gave me my mana back. If you could just pay 50 of those, because you can just keep playing those over and over. So green can do some of that stuff, especially it has the ability to untap all its lands, which can either net you mana or at least break even. And that kind of is like a ritual. Yeah. So early harvest, rude awakening can both do that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, there's also, you know, like Noxious Revival is a, a card that sees a lot of play in Commander and is a free spell because it has Phyrexian mana to cast it. Yeah. Regrowth, for example, yep. is commonly splashed in storm decks and some other places. Yeah, because uh, you can go like it. you can go like root awakening, untap all my lands, regrowth my root awakening, tap my lands, untap all my lands, cast it again. That's three spells you've now cast. Exactly. You could have just simple cantrips. I know the blue cantrips are a little bit better, but something like uh, viridescent, viridescent. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Very distant wisps. Yeah. Uh, it's just a little cantrip. And so you can do that abundant harvest uh, from this newest set or once upon a time. Those kind of little cantrippy things can help you churn through your deck. Uh, and again, you don't have to worry about your payoff because it's in your command zone. So you just worry about generating mana and generating card draw. Yeah. And of course, in green, you're going to have a lot of mana dorks. Those are usually like one mana. Uh, so if you don't play those super early, I think sequencing is going to be an issue with Eve, but you know, maybe you hold a few so that you can go one, two, three play, you know, Eve it's, it's tough, but you will have a number of one mana spells that are still good in your deck because they're mana dorks. And then I was thinking like maybe like team or saber tooth slash wirewood symbiote. If you have enough elves can be a piece of this because they allow you to bounce your own creatures back to your hand. Yeah. And then, so maybe you can get into a thing, even with team or saber tooth, you know, I've seen it a million times, which is you basically create infinite mana and that converts into infinite casting of spells. Cause team or just saber tooth just bounces with something over and over again. Team or saber tooth can do a lot of different loops. So putting in here just makes sense. Uh, again, being able to rebuy your mana dorks later on sound like it's really, really good. Of course, um, we're going to be putting tokens onto the battlefield. And so anything that synergizes with tokens works really well. Yeah, because those, those storm copies, don't forget, are tokens, the storm copies of Commander. Yeah, exactly. So doubling season, parallel live, second harvest, uh, all of those can help sort of 
bloop, 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 bloop. Yeah. Lose your well, they make it when everywhere. you storm off. If you, because those are things you can put out before you storm off, right? Exactly. I think that's going to be one of the troubles with this deck is like I want to hold all my low CMC stuff for the turn that I try and storm off, but at the same time, like sometimes like mana dorks, I want to play them to help me cast the stuff later. So doubling season and parallel lives are great because you cast them and you're not trying to storm off with them. You're just waiting till the next turn or the turn after that when you actually go cast a spell, cast a spell, cast a spell, cast a spell, cast my commander. Now I should get four tokens or five, but now I'm going to get ten. Well, that's why your team or Sabretooth is so good because yeah. you can tap your mana dorks and you don't worry about deploying them at first. Tap them, return them to your hand or whatever, and then play them again to generate storm count. Uh, we both had the same idea here. We put down something very similar on the outline, uh, which is that if you're going to do a thing where you have a big explosive turn and it's going to create a bunch of creatures and it's going to be like a thing where you expend a lot of resources in that one moment to do it, you don't want to be uh, you, you don't want to be overexposed, which means that you need to take advantage of those creatures right now. You don't want to be like, storm off, yeah, make a million oozes. <laughs> Pass turn. <laughs> Boy, I hope they don't have a board wipe. So haste is going to be essential. Uh, Concordant Crossroads is a really good spell to do this because it's one mana, so it can help you storming off. Mm -hmm. And it gives haste to everything, including your opponents. But if you're going to try and like either win or you know, be debilitatingly ahead by the end of that turn. I think Concordant Crossroads is is kind of a must. Crashing Drawbridge, we talk about a lot these days, and I think it's just a very good card. Is another one where you can deploy it before your sort of big turn, and it taps to give all creatures haste, or all your creatures haste, so. Unfortunately, being in green, that's kind of it, you know, yeah. where, where there's not a lot. A Chroma's Memorial, but it's a bajillion mana. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, I put down here, and I think it's, it's very good because it kind of acts in a similar way is Vidalcan Ori because now instead of storming off on your turn, you're doing it on the end step before your turn, which is similar to giving your creatures haste because your opponent's just, you know, well, you have to have an instant speed uh, board wipe and the mana available to cast it right now. And could you imagine if I get to storm off at the end of your turn and you've cast three or four spells? Storm yeah. just counts spells. Yeah, it, it, yeah, that's a really good point. So it counts the spells your opponents cast in a turn. So, yeah. yeah. So you get a little bit of extra storm for free. I think a lot of people are looking at this maybe not as much of a storm deck and maybe as like an ooze tribal deck. You're right. And that definitely brings the power level down a little bit. Although there are plenty of good oozes that we normally play in Commander. You know, um, you know, we play Scavenging Ooze yep. to interrupt the graveyard. You know, we play um, Acidic, Acidic Slime. slime. Yeah. yeah, to just interrupt some stuff. And um, there, there's a bunch of oozes you can look it up. But we don't have to go into like how ooze tribal works because you can just go on EDHREC and kind of look up Ooze Tribal, and most of those cards will be there. I think this will be a fine version of the deck, but... I think it'll be a cool version. You I'm know? not sure that this is the best commander if you're off. doing this, though. It's probably in the deck, and then maybe you use something else as, like, that pumps all your Oozes or something in but the But then who's your Ooze Commander, then? Your Ooze Commander is not Oozy? Yeah, I just don't think, yeah. like, this... this doesn't like need to be in your command zone if you're not going to storm off it should be an ooze that's in the deck and now maybe it's morphon or something else that it's at least like helping you do other things yeah i can see that yeah and then you know you're in green you could find tutors if you want to find uh eve <laughs> okay let's move on to the next one do you want to try and say it yes i do but okay. i don't want to look at the card oh, i want to look at the cheat i want to no, look no, at the cheat read the card read the card ready go as that's as far as you got. One more time. Go. Just just try and bumble through it, even if you get it wrong. As Miranda docket car. Good. <laughs> it is As Miranda Marty Kadais to Nicole Dakar. That was, I may that have was practiced really good. That. I may have practiced that a few times. I practiced Jimmy's cheat sheet. <laughs> and Josh made me read the card. I'm like, I'm ready for this on camera. I just We're going to call her Asmo. Asmo. Okay, so Asmo. <laughs> 
this is one of the reasons why it feels like an unset, because that name, Asmorando Marty Kadizus in a Coldacar, is hard to say. With no casting costs. Yeah. Just the name too long, no they, casting They had to take cost. the casting costs <laughs> off because the name is so big. All right. She's a 3-3, legendary creature, human wizard. Uh, it says, as long as you've discarded a card this turn, you may pay a hybrid Rakdos to cast this spell. So if you've discarded a card this turn, it's one mana to cast Asmo. And then it says, when Asmorando Marty Kadaisin Akoldakar enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a card named the Underworld Cookbook. Reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. And she also says, sacrifice two foods, target creature deals six damage to itself. So she brings a card with her, and then also, uh, you may have guessed that other card, which we're going to read in a second. It has to do with food tokens, creates food tokens. And uh, because Asmorandi Marty Kadaisin in a Coldacar is a chef, evidently. She's like cooking in this um, picture. And then, so she has that removal aspect. Sacrifice two food and target creature deals six damage to itself. Also interesting that that, that creature is dealing damage to itself. So Asmo's not doing the damage. That's interesting, yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah. Asmo comes with the Underworld Cookbook. It's a one mana artifact. Tap, discard a card, create a food token. You can also pay four and tap, sacrifice the Underworld Cookbook to return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Okay. So we'll, we'll revisit that in a second, but yeah. the cookbook deals with food and, and sacking creatures. Gives you a discard outlet. Apparently she needs something to discard to be able to be put onto the battlefield anyway. So you're going to have some discard synergies in here too. Oh, right. You discard a card, which allows you to cast Asmo, which doesn't matter because the first time to find the cookbook, you have to get Asmo out. But then once you do that, this is a discard outlet and then it helps you return the stuff that you're discarding. Got it. Um, okay. Let's talk about our rulings thing really quick here before we get into the synergy cards, because I think a lot of people might get confused and think like, oh, you don't have to play commander tax with Asmo. Because it has no casting, casting costs. costs. Yeah. It does say, as long as you've discarded a card this turn, you may pay one mana hybrid Rakdos to cast this spell. You are casting it. They learned with Derevi, don't do an activated ability <laughs> from the command zone. So this is a casting. So it does count every time you cast it out of the command zone. It just has an additional requirement to cast, which is you have to have discarded a, a card. So you will pay commander tax on that each and every time. Uh, yeah, I'm glad we could clear that up. Okay. You actually think the Underworld Cookbook is like a decent card even outside of an Asma, Randy, Marty, Kadaisin, and a Coldacar deck? I think that uh, being able to discard sometimes can be really important. Like there are madness decks out there. Like we've seen Anya, Falconrath, yep. like do some cool stuff. And so just having a little a little guy out here that can just discard and create a food token. It can, you know, work with those thematic cards and sometimes making a food is good. It's not like the most amazing thing in the world, but I think that a lot find of a spot. Yeah. I think a lot of people can play it for sure. I'm going to tease this. Mm -hmm. Jimmy is playing an Asmiranda Marty. Could I send a cold card deck in the post Malone episode of game nights coming up. So Jimmy actually provided us with the secrets to the deck here. The secrets, the secret recipe for me to pronounce his name, the secret <laughs> recipe. Uh, so you obviously want to discard cards and Jimmy had some cool ways to do that. One of the best ways is to cycle because cycling counts as a discard. So like the cycle lands, polluted mire, smoldering crater. Do you just want to read the cycle uh, re rules text off of a card? Yeah, absolutely. So cycling says the amount it costs to cycle it. And it says discard this card, draw a card. So anything that has cycling actually has a discard on it, but it replaces itself um, uh, you know, immediately. And so cycle lands, polluted mire, smoldering crater are good. Tectonic reformation gives all your lands cycling for a cost. Um, Archfiend of Ifnir 
has cycling on it and actually pays you off for cycling or yeah, discarding or discarding yeah, yeah. And start like wiping out your opponent's board and you know yeah, it gives you negative one negative on one there. to each creature for every time you cycle or discard discard there's things like rooting moloch you want to read it yeah rooting moloch is a uh, four and a red for a four four creature lizard it has cycling too that's probably what you're using it for but if you are playing in the later game when it enters the battlefield exile target card with cycling ability from your graveyard until end of turn until the end of your next turn you may play that card so Look into your look into your graveyard and be like, all right, what's in there? Okay, and then you can play yeah. it. Early, it kind of enables your commander and does a bunch of other synergy with your deck. And later in the game, it actually becomes a card that gets another card out of your graveyard, kind of regrowths a cycling card. So, it's yeah. There's a lot of cool cycling cards, which I love cycling as a mechanic. So it's great that that works in this. And then obviously, there's a ton of other ways to discard in the deck. And we're going to talk about. Jimmy has a little note for everybody at the end of this, but when you're discarding stuff, you want to make sure that you're discarding for value because you don't want to just lose a card. So you want to make sure any of your effects that are discarding things, uh, there's also something tied to that discard so you're getting something when you do that. So not only are you saying, I can have this to play my commander, but I'm also getting something out of it. So let's talk about like Tortured Existence. Yeah, Tortured Existence is a one-man enchantment. It's one black, and you can pay a black to choose and discard a creature card, return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So great. Yeah. Like th this is a very solid card in a lot of different commander decks. It's cheap. It has a very simple activated ability and you're like, oh, okay. Uh, discard this creature card, get this one back. And once you have enough in there, it's actually like survival of the fittest, which at is that a, point, yeah, which is a, which crazy, a crazy card because expensive you, card. It's and, not, and, it's not just like getting a creature. It's tutoring for one. Cause now if you've got 10 uh, creatures in your graveyard, you're like, well, I get my pick. Mm -hmm. Um, there's Glint Horn Buccaneer, which is a combo-y type card, but also just works in discard decks, yeah. decks in general. The relevant text is whenever you discard a card, Glint Horn Buccaneer deals one damage to each opponent. It also has the ability to let you discard on it too, which is also very relevant. I like cards that pay you for discarding and allow you to discard on the same card because mm -hmm. now they're a self-sustaining engine. Yeah, there's stuff like, I mean, we're not going to read all these, but Bag of Holding, uh, Surly Badgesaur, Wait, Surly Badgersaur. Okay, Surly Badgersaur. We gotta read for Surly Badgersaur. It's like the bone miser <laughs> of uh, of self-discarding, right? I love it so much. Okay, yeah. because he's Surly. Okay, three and a red for a three-three Badger Dinosaur. Whenever you whenever you discard a card, put a plus one plus one counter on Surly Badgersaur. Whenever whenever you discard a land card, create a treasure token. And whenever you discard a non-creature, non-land card, Surly Badgersaur fights up to one target creature you don't control. So you get to kind of decide based on what it is that you're discarding, what you get. It's like waste not, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, there's also like rummaging in general is really good with this deck because rummaging is when you discard a card and then draw a card, whereas looting is when you draw a card and then discard. But rummaging is really good because it's just like cycling where you basically um, are at card parity. You don't lose a card in the... And that will turn on Asmo and also just incidentally get you this value from things like Surly Badger Store. You also put probably put Bone Miser in the deck. Uh, Anya Falcon Wrath is a good example of rummaging. Thing about Anya too is Anya mentions madness on her, mm. and madness is another really good mechanic with any disc self discard deck because madness cards. The mechanic says when you discard a card with madness, you can choose then to cast it for its madness cost, which is usually a lot less. And also, madness turns all the madness spells into uh, instants because you can madness at instant speed. So some madness cards are like Grave Scrabbler, which is a creature. 
It's a 2-2 two, two, four, 4 mana, and when it enters the battlefield, if its madness cost was paid, you can return target creature card from a graveyard to its owner's hand, and its madness is 1 in a black. So its madness cost is half of its normal price, and it only gets the ability to grave crawl or something if you madnessed it. Yeah, but usually grave diggers are 4 mana anyways, diggers, so that's like really good discount for 2 mana 2-2 two, two grave digger, yeah. And at instant speed if you madness it. Yeah, for sure. Big game hunter allows you to kill like a large creature. Um so a lot of really cool stuff you can do with self-discard. I like self-discard a lot over mass discard mm. because you're not stopping your opponents from doing stuff. You're not making them discard. You're just discarding and using your graveyard, which is a lot cooler. It's like you're doing stuff without stopping other people. Well, there'll be a card later we're going to talk about that encourages you to make other people discard. I like that one a lot less. Uh, obviously, you're dumping a lot of stuff in the graveyard, so you want graveyard synergy, uh, ways to reanimate stuff, animate dead. Do we want to read all these? Probably I don't not. Know. I like Underworld Breach. Right, That's right. That's a pretty good one, too. Underworld Breach, Jessica's will just assume we say that for every deck that has red in it, <laughs> right? Like everyone's just playing Underworld Breach and Jessica's will and all the red decks that have red, right? Like I don't care what other colors are present. You're playing those cards. A uh, good one, Shadow of the Grave, one in a black instant return to your hand, all cards uh, in your graveyard that were that you cycled or discarded this turn. So you can kind of like go off a little bit and then get all those cards back. That's cycle, 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 get them all back. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Asmorano Marty, Kadai's in a cold car. We just wanted to put it on screen, something somebody put on Twitter, which is a, a pronunciation guide. So it's Asborano Marty Ka Dystina. I think of it as Dystina. Dystina Coldacar. There you go. Everybody can pronounce it now, right? Perfectly. Perfectly. Yeah, no problem. Especially if you're playing it. I'm going to read this little note. This is from Jimmy, right? Yeah, this is from Jimmy. Imagine I'm speaking in Jimmy's voice here. As a commander, this isn't great. Turns out a lot of food generating spells are green and much less so in black and red. So you lose out on that part of the card if you're trying to build around it. The synergies you could build around are more based upon discarding cards and utility from the graveyard. Morrow says they wanted to give Madness more of a chance in Modern, so there's a lot of that sub-theme running around in Modern Horizons too, And it is a theme they have been adding slowly over time. If you build this as a commander, you need to have lots of access to discard abilities and then utilize those for maximum value. Yeah, and I think that's a thing that he said when he was testing the deck and playing the deck is you want to make sure you can discard. That's the biggest hurdle you need to get over. And it's it's promising that there might be some more madness coming out because madness is a very cool mechanic, uh, but it has to be costed right, you right. know, for sure. All right, let's get to the next one. Captain Ripley Vance. Two and a red for a 3-2 legendary human pirate. Whenever you cast your third spell each turn, put a plus one plus one counter on Captain Ripley Vance. Then it deals damage equal to its power to any target. And it starts as a 3-2? Yeah. So if you cast three spells, presumably the turn after you play this, it would four, deal... 4-3? It would be a 4-3, and then it would deal four damage. Wow! Into anything, too. Casting three spells is hard. It's really hard. <laughs> I mean, now you're just kind of storming off for a little bit of damage. Yeah, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Casting, casting three spells is way harder. And I know because there are a lot of decks out there that are like cast two. You know right. what I mean? That was a whole mechanic in the original Modern Horizons yep. was like cast two spells. And it's like, and it's okay. like kind of a mechanic they've sort of been playing with for a while now. If you cast your second spell, do stuff. Yeah. Three spells. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. At least you're, yeah. Uh, and I mean, on turn, four, on turn four, you need two one mana spells, you know, or free one. And I a guess. two. And a two. Yeah. That, like, which that's is, a lot. Of, and that's a lot of cards in your hand. Like, what are you I mean, I think most damage? of your cards in your deck are going to have to be three CMC or less and probably two CMC or less to realistically be able to trigger your commander. You're in mono red. Mono red does have some cantropy things, which is what you want. Like one red mana, do something, mm -hmm. draw a card. But there are also ways to kind of supersize this as far as like 
make it so the damage from Captain Ripley Vance is a lot. So the first category here is pump the power. So make Captain Ripley Vance bigger. So the three spells you're casting are kind of growing her, and then by the time you get to the third one, instead of doing four damage, she does 20 or something crazy. Yeah, like I would not be satisfied to just steal four damage after putting that much effort into it. So cards like Fists of Flame, which is one in red, draw a card until end of turn. Target creature gains trample and plus one plus oh for each card you draw on this turn. I could see that as like the last spell you cast, actually, and giving it a pretty big pump and moving you forward in your deck to drawing more cards. Yep. Uh, Balduvian Rage, it just... It's X and a red. Just just give it Pumped plus it X, X plus O. Yeah, you draw a card, but not immediately. Unleashed Fury, one and a red. Double the power of target creature until end of turn. That, I like that one a lot. That because, one we can get a lot. Yeah, exactly. Even with trigger on the stack, if you were later in the game, you might be able to be like, okay, boom. For sure. Invigorated Rampage, one and a red. Uh, it's got two modes, but we're interested in the plus four plus O to target creature and trample. Notice we have, they have a few cards that give trample so that attacking with Captain Ripley Vance would work, actually, because that could be important, too. Yeah, I mean, if you cast three spells, unleash powers, one of them, suddenly it's got, like, 20 power or so, hit somebody for 20 and then attack them for 20. Like, well, I mean, if we're in Magical Christmas Land and we are, have 20 power, could we just make it 21? No, because it's not commander damage because it is Oh, but if we attack, damage. though. Well, yeah. yeah, you'll have to get the attack. Yeah, you have to yeah. get the attack. <laughs> <laughs> you do 20 damage to your one blocker. It's like anywhere, right? Your blocker, 21 damage. <laughs> Swing. <laughs> Swing. Uh, okay, well, let's talk about some spells that allow you to cast more spells so you can really get the most out of the trigger. So we call in this category cast twice. Yeah, we just saw creative technique. And if you demonstrate it, which means I let you do something, I get to do this twice. Uh, so I'm going to cast two copies of creative technique. It doesn't even matter what I get. It's just casting two just spells. Casting two yeah. spells yeah. Uh, Direfully Daredevil only costs two mana, but then I can look at my opponent's graveyards and cast something from there. Hopefully they have something cheap like a cantrip. Two spells. Uh, Goblin Dark Dwellers. It's five mana, but you can cast something, see a mana value three or less from your graveyard. You're going to have a lot of those. So that's two spells for five mana. Uh, Mizzix's Mastery. Uh, just on its face value, four mana to cast something from your graveyard. That's two spells for four mana. If you overload it, you are for sure getting the trigger off of your legendary. Yeah. Who's had some experience with uh, Mizzix's Mastery? <laughs> yeah, it is pretty cool. Okay. The next category is keep casting. You, you need mana to keep going a lot of times and you need cards, but mana is really the big stopping point here. So Bergy, every time you cast a non-creature spell, you get a red mana that's going to allow you to keep going. Runaway Steamkin, uh, we've seen this on extra turns. Every three red spells you cast, you're going to be able to take the counters off and get a bunch of mana, keep casting. Storm Kiln Artist, I keep talking about this card. This card's going to be really good. Every time you cast uh, Instant or Sorcery, you get to make a treasure. It's really good to allow you to just keep casting spells. Then you want cheap card draw because... This is similar to Storm and how we talked about it earlier with the ooze, right? The two things you need, mana, which we just talked about, and cards, because that's what's going to run you out of gas and make you stop casting. So you can do things like uh, Thrill of Possibility, Faithless Looting. These are like rummaging cards, Magmatic Insight to just keep your hand full. Yeah, you're going to be running into lands and big casting cards. You want to be able to pitch those and get what you relevantly need in that moment right there. And you can also abuse the fact that it's Captain Ripley Vance that's dealing the damage. So you give them... uh, lifelink or death touch and then you get the life or you just kill a creature even though you didn't get to 10 power you only got four still kills a creature because of the death touch uh also you could give infect to just only have to do 10 damage so grafted exoskeleton obviously that's pretty good yeah it's yeah, a card we talk about a lot you're welcome craig uh spike shock elder is a card that's been around for a long time and does something similar one rand mana for a one one and it has an activated ability one red red spike shot elder deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player so you kind of have a backup version that you can actually activate wait a second this card might be better than the commander 
Well, yeah, but it can't sit in your command zone, so <laughs> you don't right, have the can. choice of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, attacking on a different access is, you know, being able to win even if you're not casting three spells, something bad happened, whatever, you're kind of top decking. Chandra's Ignition, if you can still pump Captain Ripley Vance maybe once only and then get that off, maybe you could still do cool things. You could just fling the captain at somebody if it gets big enough. Just fling it. Just fling it. Yeah. Uh, Chandra's Incinerator is a good one. Five and a red for a six six. Uh, this spell costs X less to cast, where X is the total amount of non-combat damage dealt to your opponents this turn, which you're hopefully going to be casting this lot. So this big thing could only cost one mana, and then this lets you sort of move around your non-combat damage. Very cool uh, synergistic card. All um, right. Cool. I like. Captain Ripley Vance, okay, but casting three spells, I don't think that's actually going to happen very much. Like, I think that's going to be tough. I think it is tough. Yeah. All right, let's go on to the next one. It is Karth the Lion. Two black, green, four mana for a three, five human warrior. When Karth enters the battlefield uh, or a planeswalker you control dies, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal a planeswalker card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Karth also says... Planeswalker loyalty abilities you activate cost an additional plus one to activate. Let's unpack it really quick. When Karth ETBs or when a Planeswalker you control dies, you look at your top seven and you can basically pick a Planeswalker out of those top seven and put it into your hand. Seven is a lot. Seven's a lot. If you have, you know, 15 Planeswalkers show in the deck, your chances of hitting are very high. Um, this last ability is pretty nuts, though. Planeswalker loyalty abilities you activate cost an additional plus one to activate cost plus one because when you activate a loyalty ability of a planeswalker it's technically paying of a cost even though sometimes that cost is increasing their loyalty so in this case let's imagine you had a planeswalker and it had a negative three and it started at five loyalty when you negative three it instead of going to two loyalty you'll actually go to three loyalty because you'll add that additional cost quote unquote of plus one there isn't a, a ruling question here, which is basically, are you allowed to activate an ability on a planeswalker that is one less, that, that costs one more loyalty than they have, basically? So, the, yeah, let's talk about Garrick Cursed Huntsman, yeah, which is the one so everyone's talking about. Garrick Cursed Huntsman is four black green for a five loyalty uh, planeswalker Garrick. Let's just read the And ultimate. we're going to read the ultimate. The ultimate is minus six. You get an emblem with creatures you control get plus three, plus three, and have trample. And so intuitively, you might think like, okay, well, if it's, it starts at five, I can't minus six it. Because it doesn't have six. But Karth, but, yeah, Karth says when you activate it, you pay an additional plus one. It's the cost. Yeah. And so that's really critical because however you do costs, you can decide how you apply them, but they it's not like you do one and then the other. There's no stack with you costs. Just, yeah, yeah, there's no stack or whatever. It's just like, oh, you decide how you're paying it, you know? And then when you put those together, you're like, all right, that's five. So we did consult with Watsi and basically the answer is yes. You it can, works! Yes, you can <laughs> ultimate Garrick... Uh, with Karth out the turn you play Garrick. That's really good. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty good. It I mean Golgari so Super Friends, here we come. Oh my gosh. It it unlocks so many planeswalkers, and there are a bunch that can sort of instantly ultimate, but there are even more that you can just tick up once and then immediately ultimate. Like it just makes them all so much more threatening. Right, because when you tick up now, you're actually a lot of them are plus twoing or even plus threeing. So they just get to their ultimate so much faster. Because 
even when you're when you're using any ability on the planeswalker, you're getting that additional plus one loyalty. So if you plus them, you're gonna plus two or whatever. So yeah, Gosh. let's talk about a few that have easy ultimates here, uh, meaning that Karth will kind of get them to the ultimate very fast. So we've got what Garrick Wildspeaker. Yeah, instant ultimate. What's it do? Uh, it's just an overrun. So it's a three loyalty, but it's a negative four to ultimate, which means you could do it with Karth and creatures you control get plus three, plus three and trample. It's very similar to Curse Huntsman, actually. Um, there's Nissa of Shadowed Bows. 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 Oh, yeah, Bow. That makes sense. Uh, gets get something back from the graveyard. I think that the one I'm most excited about is uh, Nissa Vital Force, uh, which can, in an ultimate, says you get an emblem with whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. Oh, you get an emblem with Tatiova kind of on it. Yeah. So good. And there's so many more that just synergize super well. I mean, just look at one of the more powerful planeswalkers out there. Ugin, the spirit dragon uh, comes in with seven loyalty. It has a plus two. So it'll get plus three. So it'll go all the way up to 10 loyalty. Boy. And then you can minus 10 it. By the way, it doesn't kill it because it's actually a minus nine. (laughs) You gain seven life, draw seven cards, then put seven permanent cards from your hand onto the battlefield. Do you know how many planeswalkers you're just going to put on the battlefield? And And then all of them will get the plus ones when they do it. Oh, that's crazy. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Ugin seems really good. Uh, it's going to make mean, a lot of planeswalkers really good. I mean, like we could just keep reading planeswalkers, but They're here's one gonna... thing that's really interesting is that a lot of times we minimize the planeswalker ultimate ability on this channel and we should, right? right. We shouldn't like fo- fixate on the dreamland that it could maybe happen. We should go back and look at these ultimates. Never before have we had this kind of effect in the command zone. I know, so it's crazy. that changes the dynamic in that you can start to count on an ultimate because generally you build your deck counting on the fact that your commander is going to be around. Uh, and I don't think you know, that changes the calculus. I do think there are other cards we're going to mention really quick here that will help you that can kind of be backups to Karth or help you get, you know, to ultimate faster. So the new Vorinclex doubling season, they both will make uh, Planeswalkers enter with twice as many loyalty counters. Uh, Proliferate's really good with Planeswalkers, obviously. So Evolution Sage, Karn's Bastion, those will allow you to put extra loyalty counters on your Planeswalkers. Um, The Elder Spell, you're this? gonna have a ton of planeswalkers in the stack, and so sometimes you might be like, "Okay, elder spell, black, black for sorcery, destroy any number of target planeswalkers. Choose a planeswalker you control. Put two loyalty counters on it for each planeswalker destroyed this way." I mean, a lot of time you're gonna be like, "All right, kill my own two planeswalkers." Just to put all the loyalty, put on all this the loyalty on this one, and let me ultimate it. Also, if this deck becomes popular, people might need to start running the Elder Spell in their non-Planeswalker decks just to <laughs> kill all the Planeswalkers. Uh, there's the Chain Veil, which allows you to activate your Planeswalkers an additional time in a turn, which with Karth really speeds up the process mm-hmm. because they get the plus one twice, which is probably like tick it up and then ultimate, right? So, yeah, a lot of ways to sort of uh, make your Planeswalkers better, ultimate ASAP, and then... Maybe you want to play some Planeswalker reanimation, some ways to get Planeswalkers specifically out of the graveyard. We're used to creatures coming back, less so Planeswalkers, but there's actually a number of cards that allow you to, to recur uh, your Planeswalkers. I like Yawgmoth's Vile Offering, if we're going to... gonna. Yeah. Fixate on one. It's four and a black for a legendary sorcery, uh, but you're going to have a bunch of legendary creatures in this, so legendary things like planeswalkers on the battlefield. Uh, put up to one target creature or planeswalker from card from your graveyard to the battlefield under your control. Destroy up to one target creature or planeswalker and then exile, exile this. Yep. So it's a little nice little two for one going on. Yeah, I like that. I- I'm a Command the Dreadhorde guy, though. It's only one more mana, and it allows you to pay life equal to the casting cost of things in graveyards and get as much of that back as you want. It is definitely a, you <laughs> can, a better card. <laughs> yeah, you might be able to get 
three or four of your planeswalkers back for sure yeah um you can also protect your planeswalkers there's some good ones like uh pernicious deed uh cards that were printed before the planeswalker walker type existed uh just say uh x sacrifice pernicious deed destroy each artifact creature and enchantment with converted mana cost x or less they thought they were getting all of the types just kidding we created planeswalkers yeah it's a classic super friends card navinial's disc too yeah. blows up everything that's not a planeswalker basically uh oath of liliana can kind of be in sack a creature make some tutus to protect your your stuff yeah you definitely don't want people getting at your planeswalkers but garth helps a lot karth helps a lot i know there is a garth but and if you're karth. if your stuff dies like you just go seven deep and you get another one like sometimes people just won't want to kill your planeswalker because they're like wait you're just going to trade this like dinky planeswalker in for something better <sighs> so good i'm so excited all right, let's talk about the next one, which is a Squirrel General. In fact, it's called Chatterfang, Squirrel General. Two and a green, three mana for three, three. Has Forest Walk. It's a Squirrel Warrior, by the way. It says, if one or more tokens would be created under your control, those tokens plus that many one, one green squirrel creature tokens are created instead. And then you can pay a black, sacrifice X squirrels, and target creature gets plus X, plus X until end of turn. So if you had a card, an imaginary card that just said, create five squirrel, or sorry, five sapperlings, if Chatterfang's out, it'll still create the five sapperlings, but it'll also create five squirrels. So now that that's 10 tokens you got instead of five. Um, yeah. That's pretty cool. And I know people are excited about this because it is a squirrel legendary before we had to like use- A Cornelia fashionable filter Mm -hmm. uh which is a silver bordered card and um a lot of people wanted this to be black bordered and so we have a golgari uh squirrel commander that we can play with which is very cool yeah but i don't think it's gonna necessarily play squirrel tribal because it doesn't pump all your squirrels so it really wants you to be a a a token deck yeah so i think that's a little bit like unfortunate in that it's like yes we want a squirrel deck but this Chatterfang doesn't actually reward you for putting a bunch of squirrels in your deck. It rewards you for putting a bunch of cards that make tokens in your deck. It, that's true. It will it will synergize well with those squirrel lords out there. A lot of squirrels you are incidentally of do create tokens, but yeah. yeah, I think you're gonna have a lot of non-squirrel cards in a Chatterfang deck. Also, it's not gonna be because like, because there's so many good token creators in these colors. It's like, well, wait, how can I leave out Pitiless Plunder? Right. Well, <laughs> we're gonna talk about that in a second. I did want to clarify a rule thing here too. So it is a replacement effect that Chatterfang's doing here when it's creating the squirrels in addition to the tokens it would otherwise create so it'll stack with things like doubling season and parallel lives because one replacement effect and then the other will happen so whichever way you slice it you'll get if you imagine that card i was talking about earlier that made five sapperlings well if doubling season's out you'll make 10 sapperlings but instead of 10 chatterfang will say oh i'll make 10 sapperlings and 10 squirrels so yeah and if you did the chatterfang part first then you'll make 10 sapperlings and 10 squirrels either way right because it'll double that yeah people so. get confused and think that like oh well, it'll make even more and stuff yeah. no it's just like it's very intuitive doubles it yep yeah it doubles the double okay um let's talk about the fact that chatterfang actually triggers on any token creation which is kind of nuts it's not just like token creatures which seems like a little bit of a mistake pitiless plunder and this card seems crazy let's read pitiless plunder Plunder is three and a black for a one four human pirate whenever another creature you control dies create a colorless treasure artifact token with tap sacrifices artifact add one man of any color to your mana pool why doesn't pitiless plunder say non-token creature so now if a squirrel dies it actually creates a treasure and a squirrel and then assuming you had a sack outlet because the squirrel died already now you're your infinite treasures right there and also infinite squirrel sacks 
sacrifices. So Altar of Dementia immediately wins you the game, mills everybody out. Ashna's Altar or Phyrexian Altar, infinite mana in two ways, right? Because not just infinite mana from the altar, but mm-hmm. also infinite treasures. Uh, you have a sack outlet on your... So even though this doesn't immediately win you the game, you do have a sacrifice outlet on your commander too. So like so you can infinitely pump something, although it gets plus S minus X, so you don't want to do that because yeah, it'll kill it. But you could activate it as yeah, many times you, as you want. do a bunch of activations and stuff like that and keep sacrificing over and over again. Uh, if you have like Skull Clamp, it'll draw your whole deck. Because remember, Paleo Splendor is given that treasure, so you always have the one mana to play for Skull Clamp. Draw the two cards, make make a treasure and a squirrel, draw the two cards, etc., etc. Pitiless Plunderer, definitely the, des- the best card in this deck. Uh, there's a bunch of other ways to sort of trigger and get tokens for cheaper, easier, free. Tireless Tracker makes clues on landfall. Uh, you put Asika's Chariot, which is a new card from... Yeah, make some, make some cool little... Kaldheim, yeah. Cool little cats, and then uh, basically just synergizes by copying other tokens out there. Yep. You know. So you get a couple squirrel, extra squirrels. Yeah. Yeah. There's Guillaume who does food tokens. Uh, there's all kinds of ways to make tokens. We don't have to go into how token decks work. All the stuff that makes a lot of tokens at once is going to be good. Or all the ones that incidentally make tokens for you every turn is also going to be pretty, pretty I like good. Revel in Riches because a lot of times, you know, board wipes and other things like messing with other people's creatures can produce a lot of treasures for you. Um, but I found one that I, that I like a lot. Okay. Tombstone Stairwell. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, I could see this is an old card because it's an enchant world. I know. Uh, two black black for an enchant world. It has cumulative upkeep of one and a black. During each upkeep, each player puts uh, into play a tomb spawn token for each summon card in his or her each graveyard. Yep. Yeah. Uh, treat these as two, two black creatures that are unaffected by summoning sickness. They count as zombies. And at the end of the turn, uh, or if tombstone stairwell is leaves play, bury all these tokens. Okay. So every, every, turn, every, yeah, every turn, every everyone, turn, every looks player looks in the graveyard, says how many creatures do I have? I'm making that many two, two zombies. Yes. And you're getting that many two, two zombies opposed to that many squirrels. Yes. Seems well, good. And every turn, too. So, like, and the whole thing is and that, every like... Every turn, everybody does that? Everyone does that every turn. So, it's <laughs> so the army of zombies go, just... Yes. Blah. Well, they get so they, the go, more, they go away. They go away at the end of... Oh, um, they but do the go more away, stuff you have... But your squirrels, but your squirrels stay. Yeah. And your deck's already set up to take advantage of life by, like, sacking and stuff. That's pretty cool. Um, okay. That's a cool one. <laughs> I think a lot of cards like Grismold were... Give everybody tokens, but I actually get the squirrels, too, are going to be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Squirrel Tribal. Again, I don't think this is actually usually going to be a squirrel tribal deck. I mean, you can do it, but that's not the best build of it. Um, Drange Hermit, Deep Forest Hermit, Squirrel Wrangler, um, Squirrel, Squirrel, Squirrel. Just look up Squirrel Tribal on EDHREC and you'll come up with them. And then Squirrel, Squirrelistocrats, Squirristocrats. Squirristocrats. <laughs> I don't know. You're going to sacrifice your squirrels a lot, probably for value. So we're looking at all the usual suspects, you know, Blood Artist, Passion of Remembrance, Dictative Erebos, all the usual stuff. I don't think yeah. we have to go over it. What about Fresh Meat? Three and a green for an instant. Create a 3-3 three, three green beast creature token for each creature put into your graveyard from the battlefield this turn. It's pretty good. So you sack like five yeah. squirrels, then you cast Fresh Meat, and you get five three threes plus five squirrels. Yeah. yeah. See, there's, there's a bunch of cards out there that say non-token, and then when they don't say that, like Pitiless Plunder, like fre- Fresh Meat, uh, then suddenly you can, really, really yeah, good. You can yeah. mess with it a lot. All right, let's go on to the next one. And spoiler alert, this is the card that I am playing as my commander on that uh, Modern Horizons 2, the Post Malone Game Nights episode. It is Garth One-Eye, who Posty likes to refer to as Garth Brooks. (laughs) (laughs) It is Garth, you know, he's got friends in low places, I suppose. Ah, Josh. (laughs) Uh, All right, Garth costs Wooberg. So five mana, white, blue, black, 
Red, green. Five mana total, sorry. Not five plus Wooburg. Just five mana. For a five-five. Human wizard. This is another nod to it being close to an unset. Garth's ability is you can tap him, and then you choose a card name that hasn't been chosen from among Disenchant, Brain Geyser, Terror, Sheevan Dragon, Regrowth, and Black Lotus. You create a copy of the card with the chosen name. You may cast the copy. Remember, you can't you have to choose a card name that has not been chosen. So if you play this fairly, you play Garth, next turn you tap it, and you either disenchant something, which is destroy an artifact or enchantment, brain geyser something, which is blue blue X, somebody draws X cards, terror something, which kills a non-black non-artifact creature, Shivan Dragon, which is a five five flyer with fire breathing, uh for six mana. Regrowth, which is two mana to get us any card out of your graveyard into your hand, or black lotus, zero mana artifacts, tap and sacrifice it to get three mana of any one color. You get one of those things, and then the next turn, you can get another one that isn't the one you already got. Then the next turn, another one that's not any of the two other things you got. There you, you go. But it's fair because you have to pay the costs, right? Yeah, you, you cast this. You can't just tap it and immediately put a Sheevan Dragon on the play. You have to pay six. Right. So it's fair. I mean, it does create a Black Lotus, which is, <laughs> you know, one of the most broken cards of all time. Uh, so I, I do think this card is pretty fair. Oh, we have a note here, something that... I didn't see this, but this is interesting. So people... I guess people were probably excited. Like, oh, they're going to make a Black Lotus token. Oh, yeah, that's what they thought. They're not going to make tokens for all these cards that are on Garth. They don't make tokens for those type of cards. Aaron Forsyth on Twitter pointed out, like, they didn't make a Pack Rat token card. So, unfortunately, there will not be Black Lotus token cards floating around for your cubes or whatever. Sorry. Um, (laughs) All right. So, Garth, of course, has to tap to do its thing, so you want to untap it. And Black Lotus is the first thing you're almost always going to do because you're going to want that three mana. Mm-hmm. If you want to cast Sheevan Dragon, it's a lot better if you have three extra mana lying around. So, untappers are the order of the day. Uh, Jeskai Ascendancy I really, really like for this deck just because I like this card in general. It's a blue, a red, and a white for an enchantment. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, creatures you can control get plus one, plus one, and you untap those creatures. A lot of the spells on Garth are non-creature spells. So if you tap it, go disenchant that thing. Oh, that's a non-creature spell. Untap, and I'll be like, terror that thing. Oh, that's a non-creature spell. Untap. Plus, cards are getting bigger every time you do that. It also says whenever you cast a non-creature spell, uh, draw a card if you do discard a card. So you loot, which is good. Thousand Year Elixir is another really good one because it's three mana, and it's for an artifact that you can pay one and tap to untap target creature. Good with Garth. Mm -hmm. But... It says you may activate abilities of creatures you control as though those creatures had haste. That's what you really want to get into his activated ability as fast as possible. And also you really want to play him and tap him immediately cast that Black Lotus. Yeah. Right? You got value off of it. Even if they kill it, that actually will help you pay for the commander tax mm-hmm. on Garth. So I think that's like one of the things you really want to do is have haste on the battlefield before you put Garth out. Um, there's a bunch of other untappers. I guess we won't go through it all. There's like Seedborn Muse. And then you want other things that want to be untapped because you're going to have all this untapping synergy, right? So, like, mana dorks are, are really easy with Garth, especially the ones like Bloomtender, Faber, or Elder, that tap for the amount of mana equal to the colors among permanents you control, because Garth's five color. Yeah. So, all of a sudden... And you can get into these loops with um, cards like Village Bell Ringer, which is a two and a white for one four with flash, but when it enters the battlefield, you untap all creatures you control. So, the thing about Village Bell Ringer and Garth... Because one thing we didn't talk about is that clause that really gums up the works, right? It really gets in the way. Choose a card name that hasn't been chosen. Yeah, I really want to choose Black Lotus like over and over again. Yeah. yeah. If only we could do something like that. How would that be possible? So let's talk about a little bit of combo potential and the way Garth works. So if Garth goes away, leaves the battlefield, and comes back, it's considered a new permanent and won't remember 
what's been chosen as far as chosen names before. So if it died and got reanimated, the reanimated Garth wouldn't remember what the previous life's Garth had chosen as his things and would be like, I'm just going to cast another Black Lotus. Let's say you blinked it or flickered it, goes into mm-hmm. exile, comes back. And that's that becomes, I think, the best way to kind of reset Garth so you can cast, let's let's be real, so you can cast Black Lotus over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So combo potential is usually going to end, going to start with haste so you can use Garth. Because if you flicker something out and it comes back, it would have summoning sickness. So you need haste and then you need something to flicker it. And the best one's really um, not that surprising. It's Deadeye Navigator. Oh, you broke Deadeye Navigator. Yeah, we did it. We did it. <laughs> So with Deadeye, the Black Lotus gives you three mana. Deadeye takes two of it. You're up one mana, and you just blink Garth over and over. That's and infinite mana. Infinite mana. And one thing that's great, that on Garth, he has built-in Brain Geyser, and Brain Geyser can deck each opponent. Right, because it's blue, blue, and X. Target player draws X cards. So once you create infinite mana, now I go, okay, well, this time I'm going to tap Garth, and I'm going to Brain Geyser you for 500. How many cards are in your deck? Not 500. And then you go, activate... Blink comes back. I'll, I'll bring Geyser you for five hundred. So you get everybody out of the game that way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Garth's got the win condition on, but it's a it's a pretty big combo, right? You need a haste enabler and dead eye with Garth. That's a lot of mana too. Yeah, it's five and six and the haste enabler. Yeah, Three and you're cards, pretty exposed when you go for it. Yeah, you know you cast the dead eye and they're like with soulbound on the stack. Remove something. You're like crap. Now you're in big trouble. And then, I mean, you got this in your command zone. They're going to see it coming. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think regrowth also seems really powerful on Garth as a way to sort of keep getting back something over and over. So maybe you got like Ghostly Flicker, which will flicker two things. Oh, yeah. Nice. So maybe if you had like a Dockside Extortionist and it's creating enough mana, you could flicker Garth and Dockside, and then Garth's getting the regrowth to get the flicker, Ghostly Flicker, flicker back. And that's another way you might be able to go infinite on a mana. Yeah. Those kind of things. So I think there are some other combo potential, but all the other combos are like more than. Deadeye plus haste. They're usually like four card combos, five card combos. So it's all fine. I don't think it's like broken or anything like that. I heard people talking about stuff with like lumbering battlements. And when I was like, yeah, if you got 52 mana, <laughs> you could start doing crazy stuff. Sure. I, I like that it's not broken. I like that it, it that it lets you play with a broken card like Black Lotus. But like we are seeing like a lot of hoops that we have to jump through to actually win the game. So I think that's fun. I'm excited to see like you'd be like, All right, I can't win in my normal way. Sheevan Dragon time. And yeah. you just start making Sheevan Dragons. I mean, I've played the deck a few Dragon. times, and you do make Sheevan Dragons, and it turns out like five five flyers with fire breathing are still pretty good. So, yeah, I've definitely... <laughs> Cracked my Black Lotus to give it more fire breathing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've done that. Yes! <laughs> that feels good. I like I that. had a game. It's it, uh, it's not on game nights, necessarily. Uh, we've played this deck a few times, but I did have a game where I knocked somebody out with by cracking, cracking a Black Lotus to feed it to fire breathing for the Sheevan. Yeah. All right. Good times. Haven't said those words since 1993. Uh, okay, we've got a bunch more commanders to go. We've got uh, tons and tons and tons. So we're going to take a quick break really fast. Hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. 
or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, we are back. We are talking about all of the new Legendary creatures slash one planeswalker that can be your commander from Modern Horizons 2. Without further ado, because this is going to be a long episode, let's just go into the next one, which is... General Ferris Rockrick. Uh, one red-white for a 3-1 legendary human soldier, hexproof from multi from monocolored. Uh, whenever you cast a multicolored spell, create a 4-4 red and white golem artifact creature token. So multicolored matters. General... Ferris does not like monocolored, or isn't scared of monocolored, I suppose. You went through and counted every single Boros card that exists. Boros and Lorehold, right? Yeah, and Lorehold. I yeah. didn't leave out the Lorehold There's only cards. like 15 Lorehold <laughs> cards, and most of these are Boros. How many Boros cards have ever existed? These are cards that are multicolored, Boro- black, yeah. or sorry, black, red and white. 183. It's kind of low, actually. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> there'd be more. But there's a lot of ones that are played a lot in Commander. So uh, Boros Charm, Wear and Tear, Rip Apart. Uh, all yeah, of those, those are, are very commonly played. You know, if you're playing a lot of Boros cards, then, you know, there's some Boros cards that synergize with other Boros cards. Balefire Liege is uh, two Boros, Boros, Boros. Uh, for two, four, other red creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Other white creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Whenever you cast a red spell, does three damage to target player. Whenever you cast a white spell, you gain three life. That means that you are going to be putting uh, six sixes into play. Oh, nice, because they're, they're both. And all the, almost all the other creatures that you're casting are red and white. Yeah, so you're, you're going to fill the deck with cards that are red and white, so they're going to get both down 
or buffed on both ends. They're going to get buffed and they're going to trigger both things. Uh, Legion's initiative pumps the power of red cards, pumps the toughness of white cards. Everything's just going to get pumped plus one plus one for this nice little anthem. Yeah, so let's let's talk about multicolored tribal here because there are a bunch of cards... This is a theme they've started to bring out in recent years, like multicolored cards. Let's give you some payoffs for playing that. Now, they're not all in red and white. Uh, some of them are, there's a lot in like green and white as well. Um, so you can't play them all in this deck, but things like Glass of the Guild Pact, which um, allows your multicolored creatures to get plus one, plus one. Then there's also Tome of the Guild Pact, which is a mana rock for five. But whenever you cast a multicolored spell, you draw a card. Or just Filter, there's a good one, four mana for an artifact. Multicolored spells you cast uh, cost up to two less to cast. So there's a lot of oh oh yeah i guess we can read this last one it's kind of cool i never even heard of this card Py- i know right <laughs> pyro convergence four and a red for an enchantment whenever you cast a multicolored spell pyro convergence deals two damage to target creature or player so assuming this deck is going to cast a lot of multicolored spells as many boros slash lorehold cards as you can fit in there then you can get some payoffs going dj how many like multicolored red and white spells do you think are in the deck? Because it can't be all, right? You still need mana rocks. You're still going to play Swords of Plowshares. And also when you Jessica's start... Will. Yeah, when you start going through the list, you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to play that. So you just got to pick out your highlights and pick out the ones that really synergize with what you're doing, creating 4-4 golems. You're- but you need enough of them to be able to create 4-4 golems. How many, like, multicolored... Boros cards you think are in the deck? I think you need at least a quarter of your deck, 25 cards in Boros to be able to make this work. Yeah, that's what we find whenever a deck has a theme, I think, is somewhere between 25 and 30 is generally the amount you're looking for. Otherwise, it just won't come up enough to really be a theme. And then you'll be really sad playing your general and just not getting 4-4. So you need a critical mass of cards that are red and white. Um, I mean, you mentioned some synergies that they're trying to push this with like the the guild pack kind of things. But Rayan, Angel of Rebirth, uh, that's in Naya. And so this card could go in there as well. We have a list here of some generals that you don't play General Ferris as the commander. You put it into the 99 of some other commanders. So, yeah. Ran, Angel of Rebirth, Gigantha, The Wellspring, Ramos, Dragon Engine, Niv-Mizzet, Reborn. All of them really play a lot of multicolored cards in there. And so um, they, this card like, right in. Yeah, all those uh, commanders encourage you to play more multicolored cards than the average deck. So that would make sense to me. And also, the general is a um, multicolored card itself, so we'll synergize. I put a signpost card on here. I like signpost cards when I can think of them, which are a card like I looked that up on EDH rec mm-hmm. and then I look at all the cards that are in decks with that card and those are high chance they're going to go in a deck like General Ferris because the card is Hero of Precinct 1 and it's a white card that wants multicolored spells to be cast. And so if I just, just go through, I, I'll be able to find any card that's got white or red probably is pretty good with General Ferris because those two cards want the same thing. One thing I want to tell you is that this card is going to feel like every other Boros deck because you're playing a critical mass of Boros cards. That means you're going to be attacking a lot, you know? And so even though it might be cool to create some golems, it's going to be an attacking deck. Yeah. Boros cards do Boros things. Sorry. It might feel cool, (laughs) but it's still going to be a Boros deck. Okay. Let's talk about the next one, which is pretty interesting. This is the one I keep referring to as a Planeswalker because it's a Planeswalker. It's Grist. The Hunger Tide. One black green for a three loyalty planeswalker. As long as Grist the Hunger Tide isn't on the battlefield, it's a 1 1 insect creature in addition to its other types. And this is the reason it can be your commander. So when it's in your command zone, it's not on the battlefield. 
Sorry if you don't like that. That's just, that's the rules. I didn't make that up. Yeah. Uh, plus one ability. Create a 1-1 one, one black and green insect creature token, then mill a card. If an insect card was milled this way, put a loyalty counter on Gris and repeat the process. Minus two. You may sacrifice a creature. When you do, destroy target creature or planeswalker. Minus five. Each opponent loses life equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. Which, obviously, the first ability is milling things and putting things in your graveyard. So, that synergizes with that. This can actually go in the Karth deck, too. So, you could get to ultimate range after one turn. uh, Because you could get a plus two, which is interesting. Get a little bit of added advantage if you have some insects in your deck. Right. right? Uh, So, are there some insects that see play in Commander? Are there enough to make that relevant? Yeah. There are some good ones. uh, You know, Anquing, Caustic Caterpillar, Hornet Queen, Mazarek, Crawl Death Priest is an awesome one. Scoot Swarm. You know, those are all fine, you know, but you start running low on the number of relevant insects. Yeah, can we get to 25 or so so you can reliably hit one? Probably not, right? probably not that you'll be happy with okay yeah like you could do it if you had to yeah you could do it if you they're not like commander good okay (laughs) that's a little bit uh that's a little bit tough so you're not relying maybe on that first ability as much yeah but i think you could do it you know we just got blacks you know a little bit of an insect lord going on there so maybe we're gonna get some more insect support uh but really i think that it's all about the graveyard synergies because golgari clearly interacts with the graveyard and this commander has a payoff which says, hey, if you got enough stuff in your graveyard, you can do a lot of damage. So stuff that fills your graveyard is good. Seder Wayfinder, Underrealm Lich, um, Sir Conrad, also good from both ends of that. Helps fill the graveyard, but also damages your opponent Yeah, as you're filling your graveyard. That's pretty cool. Some interesting interactions. I think the most interesting thing about this card is that it is a creature in these different places, you know? Including your graveyard, right? Yeah, including your graveyard. So um, this can't go in the in the deck, but in the 99 of a Sadisi Blood Tyrant deck. Brood Tyrant, yeah. Brood Tyrant deck. Uh, if you mill this, it counts as a creature, and so it gets a zombie, you know? That's in interesting. In a Marin of Clan Neltoth deck, you can return this to the battlefield because in your graveyard, it's a creature. So it can target it. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> you can collected company into this because oh. it is a three-mana creature. <laughs> That you can, yeah, you can green sun zenith for it. You can green sun zenith for it. Obviously, uh, it's not your commander in those cases, but still, that's interesting. If this is in your graveyard and you have necrotic ooze, which has all the activated abilities of creature cards in all oh graveyards, my gosh. you can start activating loyalty abilities on your necrotic ooze. <laughs> now, you could only plus one it at first because your necrotic ooze won't have any loyalty. Yeah. But then if you built it up to you some loyalty, build it up. <laughs> my necrotic ooze just has three loyalty, okay? That's probably, that's kind of funny. Yeah, and I think that that's the unique part about this, and I think it's going to be pretty cool to see what else it can do, because it can do some cool creature-y, planeswalker things. Yeah, I think it's fine. It's probably not going to be super powerful, but just a Golgari graveyard deck is going to be good, right? Because just the, the, the shell of that is always good. For sure. All right, let's move on to the next one. All right, we've got... Uh, Lonus? Lunus? You got me. Sure. Lonus. Uh, cryptozoologist. Okay. It's a uh, green and a blue for a one, two legendary snake elf scout. Whenever another creature, whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, investigate. You can tap sacrifice X clues. Target opponent reveals the top X cards from their library. You may put a non-land permanent card with mana value X or less from among them onto the battlefield under your control. That player puts the rest of them on the bottom of the library in a random order. So when you investigate, you create a clue token. A clue token is an artifact that you can pay to and sacrifice it and draw a card. And then the activated ability is what? You tap Lanus, sacrifice X clues, and target opponent reveals the top X cards, and you can put a non-land permanent with mana value X 
I'm already it's lost. A lot of, it's a lot of clues, honestly. Like you really need to sacrifice a lot of clues to be able to go deep enough to find something that you really want to steal and put on so your side. So if I do four alcohol. clues, I look at four cards at the top of, of their library and I cast cast something four or so not not cast put something four CMC or less onto the battlefield. Non land, non land, which stinks because you can't just always right. ramp into a land. Okay, okay, all right. So there's a lot of hoops, right? I like how you put down here, Investus yeah, Snake. Yeah, I didn't need to know the name because it's Investus Snake. Investus Snake. <laughs> Investigate Tribal. Clue Tribal. All right. So so Clue Tribal, is there enough support for a Clue deck? Because it really only existed in like one... Shadows over in, in, Yeah. The, the I love Clues, but like just, there's not many, many cards that mess with Clues. I mean, everyone likes Tireless Tracker, but after that, it starts going down. Uvenvold Mysteries, Erdwall Illuminator. I like Uvenvold Mysteries. Yeah, okay. Tomio's Journal. That's the one yeah. that we always kind of talk about a little bit. Um, but it creates its own clues. So maybe we don't need a lot of other clue creation. Maybe we can just play creatures and create clues, you know? Yeah, I like this last card on the list a lot. Uh, it's a pretty clever way to take advantage of Lannis's ability, which is whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, investigate. Mm-hmm. All right, let's read Shrieking Drake. Shrieking Drake is one blue mana for a 1-1 flyer, and when Shrieking Drake comes into play, return target creature uh, you control to its owner's hand. Uh, you can choose the Shrieking Drake. So it's one mana, make a clue token. One blue mana. So yeah, bounces, Shrieking Drake says, bounce myself, play myself again, bounce myself, play myself again, and then you will get a bunch of clues, which seems cool. And then you can maybe actually activate Lannis. I mean, it seems like if you just play creatures, you will generate a bunch of clues. What's the number at which you think activating Lannis is worth it over just cracking those clues for cards? I don't. Six? I, I don't know, because I would actually crack them for cards before I'd activate Lannis. Honestly. But I think if you, yeah, that's true. But let's say you had like eight laying around. You're going to use six on Lannis, right? Because you're not going to spend 32 yeah, mana sure. or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. I think I would use... So you have to have a few excess, and then I think it's got to be like five or higher. I think it has to be. F- I think it has to be five, five, because then you go so far deep, and then you're like, okay, I'm bound to hit a ramp or card draw spell. Right. You know? At the very least. At the, Maybe that, I hit. Something oh no no cool. permanent permanent. Oh, so yeah, it has to be. Oh crap. Oh my god. So I guess some decks it's not even good at all. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so maybe now it's got to be more like six before it really does because I have to go deep enough to hit like their relevant bomb creature like their big creature or I just want to get something I know but it's not good if you waste five clues and get like a mana rock right no no it's not good at all hopefully you have enough mana so you can start cracking these clues okay obviously you want the the token doubling stuff so you can get double clues so doubling season parallel lives Adrix and Nev blah 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 um Okay, I like how you you worded this. Follow the clues to find. What are we trying to find when we follow our clues? Uh, first thing is mana. Uh, Urza High Lord Lord High Artificer can tap the clues to make some blue mana. That's pretty sweet. Uh, that's pretty sweet. Turns them into mana rocks. Exactly. Uh, Kaidel Chosen of Crufix taps for mana equal to the number of cards you've drawn that turn. So you go clue clue clue. Draw, draw. Tap this thing for four. Yeah. Nice. And then like crack that. for some more clues and stuff like that. Um, and then Inspiring Statuary. Oh yeah. Know. Just, again, sort of tap the clues for mana. It's for improvised, so it's for non-creature spells, but or sorry, non-artifact spells. Yeah. Um, yep. You can also use the clues to find cards. Yep. Uh, follow the clues to find cards, like a card like Shimmer Dragon, uh, four blue-blue for a 5-6 flyer. As long as you control four more artifacts, Shimmer Dragon has hexproof. Tap two untapped artifacts you control, draw a card. Oh, so if you, now if you have eight clues, you're right. I'm not using Lannis' ability because I just might draw Shimmer Dragon. Yeah. In which case, I want my eight... Clues to just tap to draw me four cards. Okay, that makes sense. Also, clues, don't know if you know this, but you can sacrifice them to draw cards all by themselves. Uh, 
And then you can also follow the clues to find wins. <laughs> I like this part. Uh, mechanized production, two blue blue for an enchantment aura. Uh, enchant artifact you control. At the beginning of your upkeep, create a token that's a copy of enchanted artifact. Then if you control eight or more artifacts with the same name as that artifact, you win the game. You might not even care that it made one also. Yeah. It's just like I already had 10 when this came into play. I just, yeah. Oh, hey, look, it's our preview card. Rise and shine. Yeah, this would be pretty good here. Uh, it's one in a blue for sorcery. The overload cost basically makes all your non-artifact creatures into four fours. So again, you just turn all your clues into. So are you activating Invest a Snake when? No, because be what if you draw Rise things? and Shine later? Like yeah. that's like a game-winning play. You so know? you're really playing Lannis for like the top ability only, the make clues, and you really want to have the way you win be a payoff for having a bunch of clues out, not like, hey, activate Lannis. I mean, if you ever got to some weird point where you just had 30, maybe you'd do it for eight. But if you have 30 clues, I feel like you can win somehow. Yeah, I think so. Uh, okay. Um, you can also blink the creatures because it's whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, you get a clue. So you can do Deadeye Navigator, Ghostly Flicker, Thassa deep dwelling things that'll also be good yeah it can, i'm sure it can go infinite with with the blinking stuff right yeah as much as we kind of downplay the sacrifice clues to to steal something the clue generation is awesome yeah it's just like creatures entering you know clues 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 so i think that you're going to generate a lot of them and this comes down early so that you're going to have it on the battlefield before your creatures so i think that it's going to be really good for clues maybe keep them around because they're pretty useful yeah i like clues i still want to play the deck just because i like clues I don't know if you know this, but clues draw your cards. Okay, let's go to the next one, which is an Elder Dragon. It's Piru the Volatile. Two red, red, white, white, black, black. So eight mana for a 7-7. Legendary creature Elder Dragon has lifelink and flying. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice Piru unless you pay red, white, and black. And then it says when Piru dies, it deals seven damage to each non-legendary creature. This is an Elder Dragon in the old school style. It is. And I like that they they kind of did the throwback to the old school style. There's a lot of lore here. A lot of people are really excited that this is here. Um, and they also found a way to make the downside and upside a little bit. So it's not as bad as the old Elder Dragons. The old Elder Dragons had similar casting costs and they also had that pay that three mana during your upkeep or else you sacrifice it. I never like uh, paying the upkeep, but it's a lot, right? You pay eight mana for the thing and then you got to pay three mana during the upkeep. But now you have a little bit more control about this board wipey thing that you have. You can just not pay the upkeep and then little mini board wipe. Also, it has lifelink. It's dealing the seven damage. It is. So if there's like, you know, five or six creatures on the board that aren't legendary, you could easily gain 35, 40 life just like that, um, which is very powerful, actually. <laughs> yeah, that amount of life that you can gain out of just uh, command, you know, is really good. And it's a board wipe, too. Like, you're taking out a lot of different creatures. Yeah, I didn't really think of that when I saw the card at first. But when you were filling out uh, our outline, you put life gain potential. And as I started to read it, I was like, holy crap. Yeah, this is a, this is a life gain deck, actually, I think. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about life gain potential. So the amount of life gain that Piro could give you is insane because that's a modest scenario. Five non-legendary creatures, right? That Easy. It happens all the time. What if there's 20? What if they're playing the squirrel deck, right? <laughs> then you're make, you're gaining 140 life. So you can use things like Veto or Sanguine Bond, Viscopa Guildmage. They all allow you to turn your life gain into damage against your opponents. Uh, or you could just take all that life and spend it on stuff. So... Aetherflux Reservoir, pay 50 of it to nuke someone else so out in of that, the game. In that squirrel scenario with 20 of them, you're just like 
pew pew just death star down two yeah, people exactly yeah uh, bolus citadel cast more cards uh, command the dread horde we mentioned that get more things back again also pure just killed everything yeah i know so right you're just like oh sweet and i gained <laughs> me the life that i'm gonna pay to bring it all so that becomes rise of the dark realms for sure yeah uh fellow our sovereign just kind of win the game yeah kind of good stuff um, my my question was as i was reading the life gain potential that that shell has existed right this life gain shell with all the cards that are like yeah i'm gonna gain a bunch of life i'm gonna convert that into i'm gonna weaponize my life gain right that's not new. And my question was, well, what does red add? Because all the cards we just talked about were either colorless, black, or white. And actually, it turns out red adds some cool stuff to the archetype. Treasonous Ogre is a creature that allows you to pay three life and add a red mana to your mana pool. That's so powerful if you're gaining a ton of life. Um, Fire Covenant allows you to turn life into uh, a removal spell. Ember Cleave I really like because one of the cool things about the original Elder Dragons is the reason we have 21 commander damage in the format is that all the original Elder Dragons are 7-7s seven and they basically said if one of these things, these things hits you three times that should kill you and Ember Cleave it gives it double strike and also pumps its power so maybe you only have to hit him once <laughs> which sure. I like yeah <laughs> for sure and then you know you could just play a lot of legendary so it ends up being you know one-sided board wipe and one-sided board wipes are good you I play... think like you try and have all the creatures in the deck be legendary right? I think so, so too. that it never kills any of your creatures yeah. well there's a chance there are a few creatures that you can have in that are not Treason legendary that yeah. are treason over that are fine but there are also creatures that you might want to die like academy rector and arena rector uh, you know uh, there might be some cards that you want to take damage like brash taunter or stuffy doll or Boris Reckoner. I like that stuff. Creatures that want to take damage because I had an old stop hitting yourself deck. Mm -hmm. And those creatures that say when we take damage, throw that damage elsewhere. Brash Taunter, stuff like that. Uh, Boris Reckoner. I really like that part of the deck. So maybe I'll bring back my stop hitting yourself deck. And then you just play like Blasphemous Axe, Star of Extinction, the you red. Know, earthquake the red. even. Yeah. Because you gain a bunch of life, you earthquake everything. Yeah, then, oh yeah, really then you too. live and everybody else dies. Yeah. That's sweet. Uh, I like Pyro quite a bit actually. I didn't like it until I saw the life gain part of it. So I didn't really think about. Okay. We are on to the next one, which is Jimmy would like this if you were here. It's Ragavan, Nimble Pilfer, one red for a 2 1 legendary monkey pirate. When Ragavan deals combat damage to a player, create a treasure token and exile the top card of that player's library. Until end of turn, you may cast that card. A one mana 2 1. This thing is pushed <laughs> to all hell. It's so pushed. Also, we're not done. It has dash for one and a red. So you may cast this spell for its dash cost. If you do, it gains haste, and it returned uh, from the battlefield to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. So not it's a one mana, two, one. When it hits your opponent, you create a treasure and exile, the t and you impulsive draw. And then it's like, well, what if it dies? You're like, well, I could dash it out for one and a red. Um, it would actually be... You have to pay commander tax yeah. on the dash. You do. It's casting it from the command zone. But still, it gives it haste. So you can get your effect uh, right away if you want to. Uh, remember, dash returns it to your hand. So if you dash out of the command zone the first time, it'll cost two. Then it'll return to your hand at the beginning. And you can play it for at the end of the turn. And you can pay it for one the next turn. Play it for one the next turn. So, um, I, yeah, okay. Well, let's go through it. But I actually like Ragavan I mean, it's, it's really pushed. I like it a lot. You know, there's a lot that can be said about just generating treasures. You make a few treasures and then suddenly in the mid to late game, like you're paying, you're playing bigger things in your opponents. It ramps you. It really it totally does ramp you. you. It's so good. It exiles the top card of that player's library. Sorry, I said impulsive draw. That's not really what that is. I don't know what to call that, but it impulsive draws your opponent. Mm -hmm. Now, an interesting thing that it says, it says you may play that card until it turn. So let's say- a cast or play? Oh, sorry. You may cast. Yeah. So you can't play the lands. Um, so I play Ragavan. I attack DJ. I get a treasure and I exile the top card of his library and I can cast or cast that until end of turn. It doesn't say you may use mana 
as though or man of any color though but the good thing is it gives you the treasure so the treasure can create man of any color it's very clever actually that yeah. they have that built in you know yeah very good design by somebody over there at wizards i also think you do want to do the send triplets thing where you put a bunch of cards in your deck that can create mana outside of your color identity so city of brass mana confluence chromatic lantern yes i don't like that card generally but i think it's good in this deck to allow you to cast those spells uh so that you can don't you have to fear like i've got to hold some treasure around in case i hit something really good yeah. i want to be able to cast it yeah there's I, you probably also like do some treasure synergy right there's like gold span dragon which doubles the effectiveness of your treasures i mean if you have some treasures hanging around you drop a gold span dragon and suddenly you can play a bunch of stuff and people win games by double spelling and and deploying more things faster than your opponent uh, Magda, who we saw Jimmy play on Game Nights, cares about treasures, can go and find dragons. Uh, Captain Lannery Storm is actually pretty similar to Regavan. Way worse. <laughs> but, like, similar in that it creates treasures and wants to attack, right? Um, I think Regavan also just kind of can go in the 99 of a lot of current decks. There's, like, pirate tribal decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the deck I played on Game Nights. There's Because there's decks that care about... Um, sort of low power creatures so subira is like that mm-hmm. alesha yeah you're right um because it's pushed like it's a good card and so you're gonna find places to put good cards it's not going to be as ubiquitous in commander because it's a cheap card that could be outclassed in longer games in 40 40 life multiplayer formats i actually think regavan's quite powerful to tell you the truth because of the treasure and it does give you some amount of card draw because man you play this on turn one on turn two you attack you get the treasure. So I can play a three drop. If you sort of something right there. Oh, man, yeah. Like the new sword, the truth and justice, feast and famine would be nuts. And now you're just like unstoppable because it's going to hit every time, which means he it's ramping you every single turn and getting you a look at a card every single turn. Like, I think that could be pretty nuts. So I think sort of are like really good in Ragavan because they fit yeah. perfectly. It's it's play Ragavan on one, and you're always going to be able to attack somebody on two. So this, you're always getting a treasure. And then that means on turn two, casting your sword and turn three, equipping it. Like, y- yeah, you're off to the races. So Yeah, and you're going to be able to pressure someone. And if someone is able to stabilize, turn to the next player and start attacking them. Yep. Uh, yeah, so you you had something interesting to say here, because I didn't realize this. Yeah, I knew. Um, so this is this is Carrie Zev's monkey. Right. So that's pretty cool. Um, but I knew that Carrie Zev was pretty popular among 1v1 uh, commander players. Yeah. And so I looked it up and Carrie Zev is like the one of the 1v1 commander players. And Magda is another like popular 1v1 commander. Makes sense because like, red. Mono red. Yeah. And I have a feeling that Ragavan's going to take over a lot of more aggressive 1v1 commander games. Yeah. It feels a little better than Carrie Zev to me. Although Carrie Zev blanks it right first strike, but... <laughs> Does it have first strike or menace? It has menace. Does oh, I thought Karzev had first strike. Maybe we didn't I'm look up Karzev. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had to play a lot of one v one commander as it turned out, and I played against that one Karzev deck that Jimmy played on game nights like five years ago. So, yeah. all right, uh, let's go on to the next one. Svelum. I, I gave it to you because I don't know how to, read, how to, how to pronounce sea it. And sky. Svelum. One blue blue for a three four legendary merfolk god. Svelum of sea and sky is has indestructible as long as you control at least two other merfolk when Svelum uh, attacks draw a card uh, other merfolk you control have ward one ward one means that in order to target them uh whoever's casting the spell targeting them or ability would need to pay one extra mana 
So this feels like a plant for modern merfolk. Right. But I think that it's great for us. Like when you look at the other mono blue merfolk decks, like that they're not as popular. Like people have not been happy with the, the they're playing dual colored or three. Yeah, yeah, they are playing. Uh, Kumena is a really good Simic one. Um, and uh, there's another one, but Capella warden of the waves is the mono blue one. It it's, sucks. It kind of sucks. Yeah. yeah. This is so much better than it for sure. But this is also just a good card. You just attack and you draw a card. Yeah, I like that you don't have to connect. You, yeah. you don't have to deal combat damage. It's just on attack. And if you've got other merfolk, you can attack willy-nilly because it's indestructible. It's so indestructible. you're like, whatever. You're just like, attack, yeah. attack, attack, draw a card. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of people are gravi- gravitate towards mono blue merfolk because that's like the modern deck. That's like the way that the deck was originally made. And so I think that there's a lot of cool synergies with it, honestly. I always feel kind of weird when the merfolk are not just mono blue anyway. Mm. Like... When they got white, it just doesn't feel right. It'd be like a goblin existing in another color. Like, that just doesn't seem right. There are some in... Don't in tell green. Josh that I have yeah. a Jund goblin deck. <laughs> yes. Oh, there are black ones, too. Yeah. I don't... If it were me and I was building goblins, I would think I would build it mono red, because that just feels like, I don't know, cleaner or something. Anyway. Well, we've got a ton of lords for this. So, Master of the Pearl Trident, uh, Merfolk Sovereign, uh, Mero Redry, Lord of Atlantis, uh, and it's just great. Yeah, you know. so you can pump all your merfolk. That 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 archetype already is sort of well known and exists. You can look up merfolk decks. Uh, we should talk about a card. I feel like we've talked about this card often when you're on the show. You like I, this? Card. I brought it up as our budget, one of a budget blue cards. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's Quicksilver Fountain. Uh, the reason why we bring it up is because a lot of these lords grant Island Walk. Right. And Quicksilver Fountain uh, is a three mana artifact. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, uh, that player uh, puts a flood counter on target non-island land uh, he or she controls. That land is an island as long as it has a flood counter on it. So just like, hey, put you, you're going to get an island now. So now I can attack you with my island walk stuff. Also, you probably don't, you know, unless your deck's got blue, that might be real annoying because you can't use that for the color of your deck anymore. Exactly. At the end of turn, if all lands in play are islands, then uh, remove all flood counters from them. Never happens because everyone's playing lands every turn. So it's just ramping like, and stuff like that. Yeah. It never happens. Yeah. Basically, it's sort of like half blood moons them, which is fine because they still have some colored mana, but it, yeah. Fair it blood decks. moon. Super fun. Uh, you have another... <laughs> A section here you just called tricky merfolk. Yeah. Merfolk have a lot of utility. They can do a lot of different things. So there's merfolk's trickster, which kind of taps down. Um, it removes the abilities of something. Yeah, and too. removes yeah. their abilities of a creature when it ETBs. Thada Adele. Steals an artifact when it connects. That's Very cool. Sweet. Thieving Skydiver. I put this in like most of my blue decks now because it's um, one in a blue for a 2-1 with flying, but as kicker X, and when it enters the battlefield, you can gain control of target artifact with converted mana cost X or less. Uh the and if it's an equipment you can attach it to thieving skydiver you don't have to pay the equip cost so you just steal the soul rings and the mana crypts it feels great yeah wanderwine profits oh Gives man you extra yeah an extra uh turn on that one hole breacher is a merfolk uh, but here's the thing like, hole breacher is a merfolk <laughs> These are all super tricky and they do different things and they do really unique abilities. So I have a feeling that it's way more fun to play than just like, oh, it's a deck full of lords. It's a deck full of like some lords, but also some tricky things that lets you have a lot of play to the game. He lost me at Hole Breacher. He snuck that on there. I didn't see that on the outline. Uh, Don't play Hole Breacher, people. 
What if it's in a fair Merfolk deck? It's Josh? fine. It's fine as long as you, everybody knows that you've got Hull Breacher in your deck. We're playing with one of the people that works here. I won't name his name. And he the the whole game, he's playing a Golos deck. And so I have a rule when playing his Golos deck, which is just kill Golos like every time you see him, right? Because it's annoying, but at least he doesn't do the other thing where he just plays cards for free. And he keeps, he the, the person here just kept being like, why are you doing that? I'm just a wheels deck. It's not a big deal. It's not a goal. Then he, he... <laughs> Like four turns later, he proceeds to whole breacher into a wheel on us. Oh, Josh, you've been you've been hurt, haven't you? <laughs> I was like, I told you, I knew it. I knew you're gonna do some mean stuff. All right, the next one is Sithis Harvester's Hand, green and a white for a one-two nymph legendary enchantment creature. Very simple. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you gain one life and draw a card. This is a great enchantress. Like, this is just be if it wasn't legendary, it'd be awesome. The fact that now we literally get an enchantress in the command zone. We they haven't given us that straight up until now, right? Yeah, uh, Tuvasa, but, but it's not straight up an enchantress because yeah. it only does it once per turn. Exactly, and we love Tuvasa, uh, and people played it, but now we have a straight up enchantress in the command zone. It comes down on two. Yeah, that's super early, and that's really relevant because the earlier it comes down, then you can start deploying enchantments and drawing cards. It's an enchantment itself, so it triggers with other enchantresses. It's just great. It's, it's just great. It's great. It's very strong. I don't think we need to talk about the enchantment uh, archetype much. It's pretty well known. You play a bunch of cheap enchantments. You draw cards. You profit. Uh, this is just a, a thing that I think everybody's played against a deck like this. At these days, there's a lot of them. Back in the old days, when there weren't enchantress commanders, then something like Melissa de Torres, um Karametra Enchantress deck was a little bit novel, mm-hmm. but now I feel like like most playgroups have seen this. Play your wild growths and your fertile grounds and stuff and and draw a bunch of cards. But the interesting thing to me on this on this creature is the gain life and whether or not that changes anything from your normal Enchantress stuff. Um, whether that makes you include any cards that you wouldn't put into a Tufasa deck or something like that, just because there is this one life gain. Does that change anything? And I was thinking of cards like Heliod Suncrown, right? I would love that. It's an enchantment itself. Yeah. It's plus one, plus one counters on things. Sounds great. So maybe that makes it into the deck. Uh, Cradle of Vitality, something you put down, which is three and a white for an enchantment. When you gain life, you can pay one and white. And if you do, you put a one, one counter on target creature for each life you gained. I don't know. You definitely need a lot more life gain than just one. You don't want to pay one in a white and say like, oh, I'll put one counter because I gained one life. I don't want to pay two mana for one counter. But when you have enchantments that also synergize with life gain, you kind of perk up with them a little bit. Yeah. And then there's the enchantments that kind of count up how much life you've gained at a certain point and then give you a token for it. Griffin Airy, uh, at your end step, if you've gained three or more life, you create a 2-2 flyer. Trudge Garden, uh, whenever you gain life, you can pay two. And if you do, create a 4-4. Four, four. Uh, Angelic Accord on your end step, if you, gain, if you gain four or more life on this turn, on each end step, then you make a 4-4 four, four Flyer. Again, I don't know for sure whether those cards make it into this deck, but it's that's the only interesting part about this to me, is does the life gain change us from our usual shell because otherwise you're just playing the enchantments, the cheap ones, the ones that bounce themselves so you can replay them. Yeah, because there's other ones that just make angels for playing enchantments. You yeah. know what I mean? Or, you know, Sigil enchantments that make, other, yeah, yeah. that make other angels, you know, Luminarch Ascension. So like... Those are probably better because it's guaranteed and you don't need to gain four life. But maybe this works because if all your enchantments cost, you know, one and draw you a card, it's not hard to cast four. Really good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's really nothing good. much to say that... It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Sithis is very strong. Um, I'm not saying that and I don't want to like discourage anyone from playing it but at the same time like it's there's just not a lot interesting for us to say because that archetype just just existed so all right let's move on to this is a throwback to an old school card I love it Torok 
I actually don't love the old school card, but I just love that it's a throwback. <laughs> okay, to be clear. Okay, go ahead. Tor- Torok, Dread Cantor. One and a black for a 2-1 legendary human cleric. It has kicker of black, black. Protection from white. Whenever an opponent discards a card, put a plus one, plus one counter on Torok, Dread Cantor. When Torok enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, target opponent discards two cards at random. The call out is to him to Torok. Yep. Uh, black, black. Target opponent discards two, two cards, cards at random. At random, they don't do very much anymore. And there's a reason they don't do it because it, they found that it's like pretty brutal. It's powerful. It feels horrible when you get hit with it. Um, and these things can just happen <laughs> to you where like very early in the game, you can just lose two of your lands because it's random and you can just be mana screwed from then on out where you would have, if you had a choice, you know, kept the land so you can keep playing and casting your spells. So... That can be pretty brutal. This is the inverse of Asmorandi, Marty, Kadaisis, and Koldakar, where I was saying it's cool. It's cooler when your deck is making yourself discard and less mm-hmm. cool when your deck is making everybody or everybody else discard. Torak wants you to make your friends discard their hands, right? Which can, yes, it does. Which can result in not having any friends. And can slow down the game a little bit, a lot of bit too. Right. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It slows it down a lot because you're probably also making yourself discard. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about let's talk about some creatures that cause you to discard. Well, but here's the thing, though. I okay. think that I think that this is actually a pretty powerful commander because it feels like um, you might just oh, it's, it makes you discard. It makes one person discard. Right. But if you can land this on two, and then you can just make people discard, this suddenly becomes a very relevant attacker. It can get very big, very fast. And the reason that I know that it can get big really fast is because it's really similar to another legendary creature that costs six mana. Yeah, so the Haunt of Hightower is a card that's already existed for a while. It's four black black for a 3-3 vampire with flying and lifelink. When it uh, attacks, if any player discards a card, but whenever a card is put into into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, you put a 1-1 counter on Haunt of Hightower. So, like, with that it existed, you could just, like, dark deal. So imagine you play this on two. On turn three, you dark deal, and everyone discards the their hand. The black wheel, yeah. Yeah. Everyone discards their hand. This is getting huge. Yeah, it's getting, like, 18 counters or something nuts. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully it gets 19, and then you just kill someone. Yeah. On turn three. Yeah. And that's, that's I mean, one that's... really good case scenario, but there's a lot of good discard that can make this really big out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, just mass discard in general is going to pump this thing very quickly. And also, the thing about mass discard, not so much dark deal, but like, I don't know, any any of the ones that say everybody discards a certain amount of cards, you're taking away their ability to answer the thing, too. Yeah. Because they're losing their resources to either cast the removal spell or they lose the removal spells, right? So, yeah, it, it can get pretty tough. Let's talk about some creatures that add to the discard theme. There's Banshee of the Dread Choir. If you remember, this one has Myriad, so when it attacks, it creates a copy for each opponent um, that's attacking them, and then when it deals combat damage to a player, that player discards a card, so that could be one card from each player. Mind Slicer, when it dies, each player discards his or her hand. So this is one where I was doing, like I say, if you play Mind Slicer and can sack it, they could have had an answer to Turok, and it's too late now because that's in their graveyard, and it if... If they ha- each had more than six cards in their hand, then... Uh, Someone's Tor- dying. Torak's going to kill somebody. Yeah, probably. Uh, Myogen of Knight's Reach makes everybody um, discard their hand. Sorry, each opponent discards his or her hand. You Very expensive, counter. but, you know. Yeah. Um, I kind of like Rankle. Rankle uh, attacks really well. This could be an attacking deck and make people discard, sacrifice creatures that are in the way. You can also um, draw cards and do other things if that's not what's going on for yeah, you right for now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's a, there's a bunch of creatures that 
are going to help you with the discard theme. Then there's spells that make you discard or make your opponents discard. Dark Deal, you already talked about. Um, there's Siphon Mind, which goes in a lot of black decks. Each other player discards a card, and then you draw a card for each card discarded this way. So that's like a lot of card advantage, right? You get three cards, everybody else loses three cards. So mm-hmm. against the table, you're up six cards there. Uh, Mind Rake, target player discards two cards, but you can overload it, which means each player discards two cards, and the overload cost is actually cheaper than the regular cost. It's two to overload or three to cast it. Um, so again, you don't mind as much if you're discarding cards if everybody is, because that's six counters on your... Yeah, and like I said, it's slowing them down and screwing them up. There's a bunch of enchantments that just cause regular discard, like every turn. They're so mean. Yeah, bottomless pit on everybody's upkeep. On each player's upkeep, that player discards a card at random. Uh, Necrogen miss, two and a black. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player discards a card from his or hand. They get to choose on Necrogen miss. Uh, Oppression, whenever a player plays a spell, that player discards a card from his or hand. I've played against this a few times. This is rough. Because if you don't have a way to remove it right away, then casting spells costs you an extra card out of your hand, which screws you big time because you have to discard your lands or your spells, one or the other, in which case either you're just not... like It It feels like, oh, it's one card. It's a big, big deal because you either can't cast your bigger spells later because you discard lands, or you don't have anything to cast because you kept your lands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of enchantments that kind of work into the discard so many and so many that synergize with it too i mean we've seen this kind of with tiny bones um yeah from i don't know kind of i think we've seen exactly yeah we've seen this we've seen a lot of this in tiny bones and tiny bones is good and so they can be friends together you know turgrid if you've seen that you probably never want to see it again but turgrid's a very very strong deck i would say tiny bones and turgrid are if you know if you want to build a slightly less mean version maybe turak is that i don't even know if it is but that's a good shell because both of those are going to have a lot of the cards yeah, that you're going to want. Are crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I think when I first saw this, I was a little bit down because it's like target opponent. I really wanted to hit everyone in, you know, commander. Uh, I liked the at random. That was kind of cool. The throwback is cool. The flavor is cool. But when I realized that how big it can get, uh, then it felt very aggressive. You know, I'm going to attack your hand. I'm going to attack you on the ground. Um, and sometimes that's not how a lot of other discard decks work. So that that felt cool. Yeah, at least it has a way to win off the discard, kind yeah. of, maybe. The problem is if they remove it a couple times, you're still going to have all the cards that make everybody discard. So you're just going to do that. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Let's talk about... we got three to go. We're talking about Thrasta. Thrasta. Tempest Roar. It looks a lot like... um What was Lightning Calimax. Butt? Yeah. It looks a lot like Lightning Butt. This is Lightning Back. Thrasta Tempest Roar is 10 green green. Yes, you heard that right. 12 mana for 7-7 seven, seven Dinosaur. This spell costs three less to cast for each other spell cast this turn. Ah. Ooh. So it is stormy in a sort of inverse storm. Has trample and haste. Seven, seven, trample and haste. It has trample over planeswalkers. <laughs> Another unset-like thing here. This creature can deal excess combat damage to the controller of the planeswalker it's attacking. So if it's a seven, seven. If it swings at a, at a planeswalker that has three loyalty, it'll also do four damage to that planeswalker's controller. Thrasta also has Hexproof as long as it entered the battlefield this turn. So you can't kill it on the turn it entered the battlefield. Doesn't seem like a big deal. Uh, Just wait until the next turn because it would have to be an instant. (laughs) Anyway, okay, let's talk about Thrasta. How relevant, first of all, I just want to ask you this question. How relevant is the Planeswalker, Trample Over Planeswalker thing? not re- it could be relevant to your meta but in general not relevant right it would just rarely come up yeah all right and if you get two extra damage through it's like yay the, the mechanic worked yay yay i did it <laughs> uh 
it's big. It can be very, very cheap. You can cast this for just green, green, as long as you've cast four other spells that turn, which is a lot. But the fact that as you cast more spells, this gets cheaper kind of works with itself pretty well. Yeah, I was actually surprised at how cheap this could get and how quickly uh, because people are talking about builds with just like, oh, it's it's any spell. It's not yeah. just like instants and sorceries, the, the traditional sort of storming off kind of thing. It's like I play a mana dork and then suddenly this gets three cheaper and three is so much. Three is a lot, yeah. You play a soul ring and like suddenly like you've reduced ring basically it. gives you five mana for yeah. a turn, yeah. No, it's crazy and like people are going all in about zero mana things like ornithopters and memnites and stuff like that. But like you can just play normal good mana dorks and get this thing to be very, very cheap. Uh, and when you have something that's way cheaper than it should be, you can abuse that. Man, can you play this on turn one with a soul ring and a jeweled lotus? Let's well, do the math here. Think. Let's do the math here. I, I, I play a forest. I play a jeweled lotus. So now he's only cost nine. I play, I tap my forest for a soul ring. So now he only costs six. No, I only have five mana left. I need like a mana crypt or a lotus petal or something. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm close. So you can turn to it. Not It's not crazy to turn to it. Obviously, you'd have to, you have to sequence. So you can't just run your soul ring out. You wait until the turn you're going to play uh, Thrasta. But because soul ring becomes worth five mana the turn you play it for, towards Thrasta, it, it, it behooves you to wait. Mana Crypt becomes... It's... Yeah, yeah, five mana towards it's Thrasta. So, so. It's so cool because basically a lot of your spells become rituals towards your commander. Um, yeah, and you can pack your deck full of low mana cost things. If you're using a bunch of mana dorks, you can synergize with other things like Beast Whisperer and, you know, Genesis Chamber. And, yeah, and the stuff normal like that. green stuff, I you think, know. goes in there. But I think the interesting part is the low CMC, the weird stuff. I think you do play Lotus Petal, right? Because it gives you four mana towards your Thrasta. Like, Normally, Lotus Petal in a lot of decks is not worth it because it's a zero mana artifact that you sacrifice for one mana of any color, and that's just like too low impact for a card in your deck for often. But in this case, it's a Black Lotus. It's more. It's better. Yeah. So let's say we can rely. We've built our deck. We can reliably get this out on turn two, and we're smashing into people. Is that is that good enough? Do we need extra stuff that this can? No, but like it's a really good point, right? Because I I I use things like Jeweled Lotus and. So I, I'm down cards yeah. to do this, to get it out really early. And then what do I get for all my trouble? It sounds super impressive. It's a 7-7 seven, seven with trample and haste. You will kill one person for sure. The fact that sure, it's got haste means like turn two, if you get out turn two and smack you, and then it's like turn three, smack you. Turn four, like they're probably dead. They're probably dead. And yeah. if they got a blocker up, with the trample, they'd live, and then maybe they could stabilize. It'd be, it'd be hard. But then there's two other players at the table, and you're down cards, and you have... You know, true. It's easy to get excited about it, but you're right. It's not doing that is probably not going to win you a lot of games. Well, that's why I think that you need to like diversify a little bit. Uh, there's combo potential, you know, because whenever you can cast something for really cheap, then you can just keep casting it over and over again, sacrificing it. And this, you know. this reduction can, um, add to the, uh, Commander. commander tax and it also compounds because every time you cast thrasta that is a spell you've cast for each other right and so the next time you cast it it's still counting all the spells you've cast previously to that turn exactly so sacrifice outlets mm. like greater good or life's legacy other sack outlets can help you you know put this back to the command zone and yes it's more expensive but you're just 
keep going on the train. You just food keep chain, saying probably. spells. Yeah, we broke food chain food again. Chain, yeah. Food chain definitely goes infinite with this. Yeah. Uh, and if you are casting a bunch of things over and over again, uh, we just talked about a storm card in green, you know. Just cast thrust <laughs> over and over again, and then you can play Eve Progenitor Ooze. We found it. We broke it. We broke the ooze. Uh, but also like hunting pack or stuff like that. But you mentioned food chain. Um, that's, that's a thing that can definitely work. Uh, Genesis Storm can sort of be a payoff where you basically cast your entire deck uh, because you've cast this over and over and over again. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, you can definitely sort of storm off with a stormy dinosaur. All right, lightning back. Uh, yeah, not my kind of card, but probably going to do some stuff. Okay, let's go on. We got two left. The next one is Usri Fortune's Flame. This is the buy a box promo for the set. One, a blue and a red, three mana for a two, three, Ifrit has flying. Whenever Yusri Fortune's Flame attacks, choose a number between one and five. Flip that many coins. For each flip you win, draw a card. For each flip you lose, Yusri deals two damage to you. If you won five flips this way, which is all of them, you may cast spells from your hand this turn without paying their mana costs. Why would you ever not flip five coins you would always flip five coins unless you're like at two maybe well if you're at two wouldn't you want to try to get lucky and win the game well because you're not winning the game at two no listen you can win games (laughs) at two like you're gonna cast a bunch of spells and do other things right you have a deck all right you're right okay but yes most (laughs) of the time you should just flip all five because this is like a slot machine do you know how on slot machines it's you're incentivized to bet the maximum because yes. there's a better payout if you're betting the maximum. And this is exactly what Ustree is doing. That's crazy. Well, we're talking, you talk about like the, the odds and like a st- slot machine. Let's yeah. talk about the odds. Um, and so if you pick five, which you should, you'll draw between two and three cards and you'll take between four and six damage. Yeah. The average should be draw half a card and take one damage. Yeah. Right. So each flip is worth half a card and one damage. Yeah. So two and a half cards total or then, yeah. a card you know. for two damage is what you're trading. And, and that, that's we're willing to pay that. There yes. are cards that that's what they do. Plus they cost you mana, like greed and stuff like that. Uh, what do you think the odds are for getting the omniscience ability? And uh, well, it's 50, 50, 25, 12 and a half, uh, 6.25, 3.17. Woo. Josh did it percent on camera right now. <laughs> yes. It's a, how do you that's think I know about slot machines? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 3.17% of the time. So you will get, uh, to cast cards from your hand without paying their mana cost. That's that, not a non-zero. About. It's not a non-zero, but you don't, like, I think a lot of people are trying to build their deck around that, and you should... Oh, well, I don't know what the odds become if you have Quark's Thumb out, though. Quark's Thumb is an awesome card. Let's read Quark's Thumb. Uh, Quark's Thumb <laughs> is if you would flip a coin, instead you can flip two coins and choose whichever one you want, whichever yes. outcome you want. So basically, that changes the odds substantially. It becomes about a, a 23% chance to get Omniscience if you have Quark's Thumb out. Wow. Which is great. And, and honestly, then it's a majority of the time you actually get four out of the five flips. Like you're very likely to get four out of the five flips and your 23% chance to get your omniscience. Draw five cards and get to cast them all for free. Cast everything for oh, free. Right. You draw five cards because you have to have yes. won all the flips. Oh boy. Yes. Yeah. So if you see Quark's Thumb out of this deck, you should kill oh, no. use yeah. three or Quark's Thumb like ASAP. You need to get rid of it for sure. Uh, this is really good. And there are existing coin flippy commanders out there, you know, that this might unseat. Yeah. So there's Okun and Zinder Split, who are the previous um, coin flip kings king and king and queen them i don't know their genders but they they are the coin flip deck that it really basically exists at the moment and 
basically what they do is Okun gets bigger the more flips that you win or anybody wins, and Zender Split draws you cards when you win flips. So, and they they allow you to to have a coin flip at the beginning of combat. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is way better, actually. I think yes, it's way better. But also, um, Okun and Zender Split like they're partner, and so when they're in your deck, you get to like immediately oh, draw a card. Along so you'd with rather it. have them in your deck. You would rather have partners in your deck because they always they have, have partner with, draw yeah. a relevant card. You know, On attached them. to it. They're also five CMC, so it does. I've played against this deck, and it a lot of times the deck doesn't feel great because they never really get going. They don't get a flip. Mm-hmm. I played against this deck. Sometimes it does its thing. It's fine. Sometimes. They just never really flip a coin for the whole game, which feels bad for everybody. Oh my gosh, you are going to flip a coin with this. Yeah, Usher is a three drop. You're going to play it on turn three and you're going to flip coins and there won't be a game where you don't get to flip coins probably or not very many. So yeah, I like this. What Are there any cool like, um, I don't know, things we're not seeing that wouldn't be in the... Because there's the crazy cards. I'm going to list them, but we're not going to read them because they have so much text on them. Chance Encounter, Fiery Gambit, Game of Chaos, Planar Chaos. They're just... <laughs> These are coin flippy cards that like make your head spin when you read them and they sound fun. But man, when you play against them, it's just like, okay, yeah, there's actually, you have to walk a really tight line when it comes to randomness. Some randomness is fun when you're talking about thieves option and warp world and stuff like that. Sometimes that can get exhausting. It's not randomness anymore. It's just confusing. Yeah. It's just, it's just perplexing. I think that one thing that's really good is that this is an attacking commander. It does need to attack. Uh, and so you can facilitate other attacks. You can also uh, reduce the downside of it. So if you give it lifelink, for example, example hmm. it's dealing the damage and oh. so you're actually not going to take damage it deals you two damage but you gain two life because it's so like it evens out so it evens out and you know you might be attacking with okund or you know pumping right, its power right. or doing some other attacking stuff uh so that could be good too yeah i think the key to this deck is going to be to get Clark's thumb out and you're going to try and find it with like tezzeret or war of invention i mean luckily blue is really really good at finding artifacts yeah. fabricate so you know, that's going to be a thing that this deck's going to want to do like ASAP every game. Yeah, but you can build it a ton of different ways. You know, put equipment so it attacks more, you know, get some blue spells that give extra turns, give extra combats, you know, uh, all sorts of good stuff. You know, Maze of If, attack with it, you know, get untap your trigger, it. untap it. Just so you don't have to worry about dying. Yeah, draw more cards. Does it, yeah, okay. All right. Seems cool. I like it. Flipping coins. Yeah. You can use the ga- game nice coin. Actually, don't do that. The game nice coins are heavily weighted. Uh, they were not meant. <laughs> They're too nice. Don't they, flip them. <laughs> they were not meant to be a 50 50 split. Uh, so if anybody's been using the game nice coin as their Zender split or whatever, they're cheating you. Uh, you should make them use a quarter. Okay. Wait, what side? What side is the good side, Josh? Uh, I don't he's, know. We can not- flip it three times and find <laughs> out because it will land on like whatever side that is. I think the, the head side comes up most because the tail side on both of them is heavier. I think. Whatever it is. It's not. Just don't use it. Okay. And now you know. <laughs> All right. The very last legendary. We're almost there. It's almost two hours. We can make it. It's Zabaz, the Glimmer Wasp. One mana for a zero zero insect artifact creature. Has modular one, which means it enters the battlefield with a 1-1 one, one, uh, counter on it. If a modular... Oh, sorry. And modular also means when... Uh, this creature dies, you put a 1-1 counter on target artifact creature you control. Okay. If a modular triggered ability would put one or more 1-1 counters on a creature you control, that many plus one 1-1 counters are put on it instead. So it's sort of hardened scales, but only for modular triggers. And then you can pay a red, destroy target artifact you control. Makes sense because you want your modular stuff to die sometimes. And then you can pay a white, and Zabaz gains flying until end of turn. It's good because it's a glimmer wasp. That's right. Uh, so this is just a 
modular.deck, right? Yeah, for sure. So this was the the this was my preview card for yep. Jumbo oh, Commander. Oh. Yeah. You're the expert. I am I am the expert. I will on sit this. back and relax sure. while you explain it to us. So Here, I'm gonna give you the phone oh, with the cards you. on it. So one thing that's kind of interesting is that there wasn't a critical mass of modular cards. There was only twelve of them. Yeah. And that's like when we're talking Hard about Hard to make a commander deck out of twelve cards. Yeah, and some of them were not costed well. You know, they knew that you were going to be able to get double value out of these plus one plus one counters, so they gave you like four mana for a two two. Anytime there's a mechanic and you're like, there's twelve of it, that there's no way that all twelve are playable in any format, right? There's like yeah. four good ones then if there's twelve, right? Exactly. Uh, luckily, uh, Modern Horizons two brings eight more. Oh, almost double cards. the amount. Yeah. So now that we're up to twenty, we're almost there. <laughs> and maybe almost with some there. like sculpting steel maybe and some copying of yeah, artifacts you can get it done or some other plus one plus one counter synergies and stuff like that but really this is a modular tribal commander in boros and that's really cool one thing to note about modular is that uh it's actually two they talk about the static ability which it means it enters the battlefield with that plus one plus one counter and then when it dies it has that triggered ability yep so uh this only hardened scales or gives the extra plus one plus one counter to that dies trigger your modular creatures do not enter the battlefield with double the, or with one extra counter on it so that's something that you should note going into modulars like it's not on a lot of cards and it's a little bit tricky yeah um but well, i know what the best modular card is yeah the best modular card is arcbound ravager yep it's very good uh two mana for a zero zero artifact creature beast sacrifice an artifact put a plus one plus one counter on on arcbound ravager and it has modular one this is the if you've never played against Arcbound Ravager, here's what happens. They have like four, five creatures that have modular, including Arcbound Ravager, and they attack all of them with you. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I've got two blockers. I can figure this out. No, you cannot. Because they're just going to sack the ones that get it, that get blocked, put the counters on some other stuff, and whichever ones get through will have a million counters on it. Yeah, and Arcbound Ravager is very good. Played in a lot of different places. It's exceptional. And Zabaz can do that impression. Now, you do have to pay red to blow up those artifacts, and they have to have modular to move those things around. Uh, but, but you can do a similar thing, which is just like, oh, nah, that one got blocked. I'll kill it, move the counters to this thing. Exactly, yep. exactly. And, you know, I mentioned that a few of the modular cards out there are very mediocre, but there's some of them that are good. You know, Arcbound Overseer is eight mana for modular six, and at the beginning of your upkeep, you put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature with modular you control. Modular Tribal Lord. Modular sort of. Tribal Lord. Uh, I don't know about the benefits of having a one-drop commander and also an eight-drop in the same deck. Yes, <laughs> you know, iffy. Because honestly, like having a one-drop commander can be good. Like Hope of Gearper yeah. is a thing, and I played uh, played card, and so you can make this be very artifact aggressive. You, you can know. make it be <laughs> wasp joke. Okay, go. There's other good uh, modular stuff, but uh, ultimately, search for modular. You see the twenty cards, and you put it, the ones you like in your deck. You have some cards on here that synergize with just destroying the artifact you control without modular part, which I didn't really think about. Of course, I was like, oh, modular. But then I, you you have this little list. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you should play those cards too. Like yeah, Ugin's Nexus. Five mana legendary artifact. If a player would begin an extra turn, no thank you. And then uh, when it gets destroyed, you get to take an extra turn. So this is a six mana extra turn in Boros. Yep. Which is very cool. Spine of Ishsaw destroys a thing, but when it ends up in the graveyard, you just get it right back to your hand. Things like Mer Retriever, Acre Wellspring, draw a card, destroy it, get another card back. You know, 
You might do some artifacto Kratzies things in here too. Yeah, Probably for do sure. the scrap trawler thing. You know, about, the... how about something like Hangerback Walker? Oh, yeah. Hangerback Walker wants to die and create a bunch of little thopters, but also synergizes with plus one, plus one counters. And so you can mo- dump all your modular cards onto Hangerback Walker and then right before your turn, blow it up, make a bajillion thopters. That's cool. So that it goes really wide. You know, you're going to play the cards like Steel Overseer that puts plus one, plus one counters on all of your artifacts. And so if you are stacking counters on these creatures, you're stacking things up, like you can stack them on your commander and try to commander damage someone out with flying. That's something. Um, but the place that I like to stack counters on is, uh, I like to stack them on an Ink Moth Nexus. You've done this to me before. I have done this before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is actually, it works uh, really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's just harder to kill the land. Yeah, and and it's a land that has Infect. And actually, I think that you could go more Infect in this deck if you wanted to. Play the Let me just, Nexus so Ink Moth Nexus is a land yeah. you can pay a mana to turn it into a creature. And then that creature has Infect. So what you can do, and it's an artifact creature. So you can put the modular counters on it. And then it dodges removal during everybody else's turn, dodges board wipes, because most board wipes are sorcery. So it actually becomes this difficult thing to kill. Yeah. DJ's killed me with it before. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. Um, but you could also have like a Plague Burr in this deck. Yeah. You, know? you probably do, just because why not? Absolutely. Well, do you know what I think I like? Uh, Core Prowler. Core Prowler is four mana for a 2-2 artifact creature, uh, and it has Infect. And when Core Prowler uh, goes to the graveyard from the battlefield, proliferate. Oh, so it works in so many ways because yeah. it, it works with all your modular stuff. Uh, but also, if you've managed to get any infect on somebody, it will work in that way too. Get them that maybe that one last one or whatever. Absolutely, and you have your sacrifice outlet on there too. Stack up the counters, proliferate stuff, put stuff on there, sacrifice it. It just works so well. Uh, and you know, it's actually just a really fun thing. Sort of truth and justice. I like that too. Proliferate uh, stuff. Ultimately, I think that. Uh, one of the reasons why I like it is I have a Mardu Artifacts deck. Yeah, it's your Kiri and Timna deck, yeah. right? Yeah, and so it plays really similarly, and I really like getting Steel Overseer and Arcman Ravager out there because I like that play of moving all the counters around, and this does that in the command zone. It's very cool. Yeah, very, very cool. Okay. I like Zabaz, the Glimmer Wasp. You should watch out for it if you're playing against it. It's definitely going to knock you out, out of nowhere. It's going to sting you. All right. <laughs> we usually do the the thing where we choose what our favorite are. Um, I think we can do that really quickly. We totally can. All right. Um, what's your favorite? Uh, my favorite's Garth. I chose that one already. I think my second favorite, because Garth, I'm going to play in the next game nights. I think Pyro is my second favorite. How about you? Uh, my favorite is Ragavan, Ooh, honestly, yeah, because I, cool. I really like how aggressive it is. I like the little monkey thing, but actually, you know, Piru kind of got me a little bit. Uh, I think because it's got that flavor and then, but it attacks on a whole different level. Yeah. I think uh, I'm excited maybe to build a Piru deck. I've never really built a life gain deck. I did a fire song and sun speaker, just kind of that, mm-hmm. but yeah, it could be cool. What do you think is the most powerful one of the bunch, DJ? I think that the Planeswalker Karth, Karth uh, in the Planeswalker one is going to end up being really good. Um, Planeswalkers are just, I don't, they're, they're very powerful and this always gets value. It always gets you a Planeswalker. Planeswalker dies, gets you another Planeswalker. And what's going to happen is you're going to get something on the battlefield and ultimate it. And then that emblem is going to just stick around. Yeah, that's a good point. I think I'd say Turok, just because I know that shell is very, very powerful. You can almost put the mass discard uh, shell with any mono black commander, and it's going to be very good. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I would be interested to hear who you think is the most powerful. There's nothing in here that immediately jumps out to me as, like, too powerful. Nothing like Urza last time or anything like that. No, I don't think so. I think that's a good... I actually think there's a really good good balance, and I think that I when I look at this, I see a lot of cards that'll see play in modern and see play in the 99 as commanders, but not, like 
warp the format. Yeah, which is great. I think that's what they should aim to do most of the time. Yeah, so. it's a good balance. Good job, Wizards. All right. That was all 17 of the Legendary Creatures. If you're still here, you've stuck around for almost two hours. We really appreciate you. Hopefully, um, this makes you want to buy some Modern Horizons 2 cards. First, to the listeners, what's your favorite new commander from Modern Horizons 2? What do you think is the most powerful one? Make sure, if you want to pick up any of these cards, if you want to build a deck around one of these commanders or multiple ones, cardkingdom.com slash command zone. You can pre-order Modern Horizons 2 right now. There also is a lot of stuff on the horizon, like Forgotten Realms is coming right up. We're already previewing that stuff. Uh, so there's a lot of magic cards that you probably... If you're like me, I'm way behind. I don't even have everything from Strixhaven that I want yet. So cardkingdom.com slash command zone. You know you're going to buy magic cards anyway. Just use our affiliate link. When you do, you're supporting all of our content simultaneously as you get the cards that you want. And then once you receive that stuff, make sure to protect it. Ultra Pro is the company that we trust our own collections to to keep them safe. They really are the ones you want to use. They got the best deck boxes. They'll really protect your cards. You don't want anything to happen to them as the world opens up and maybe we're traveling again. Satin Tower is my travel container of choice because I just know it can get banged around, thrown around. I can drop my backpack and the cards are going to stay safe in there. Satin Cube. I'm excited oh, about that. Oh yeah, I yeah. saw that. Yeah, that. Satin yeah, cube. you're a big cube guy. Yes. So yeah. Oh, no, they're little they're little cubes. The satin tower. Oh, has the they're, dice the, thing. they're like the boulders. Yeah, they're yeah, like yeah. boulders. They yeah, got yeah. shrunk down. I always thought the satin towers were just a little bit too big to fit in my they have bag. That dice container. Yeah. Actually, and now it's gone. Point. It's like it's like shrunk down. Oh, thumbs up. I think my favorite deck box. Yeah, that's actually a good point. because uh, they're I mean, I do put some dice in like one of them, but I don't need dice in every one of my deck boxes. Yeah. So yeah, having them be a little more compact is good. Ultra Pro. Make sure you support uh, our show by supporting our sponsors. Okay. No end step today because, again, we're at two hours and uh, we don't have that many th- cool things in our life. But I promise, DJ, I know you have some I have some up. sort up. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, we'll get there. We will get there. There's okay. a, trust me, there's enough episodes. <laughs> All right. want to give a big shout out to our amazing team here at the Command Zone, which is Manson Lung, Craig Benchett, Ashlyn Rose, Lady Danger, Alfred Estaka, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Patrick Nan, Jordan Pridgen, Arthur, Arthur Meadowcroft, Sam Waldo, Garav Galati, and Dan Sheehan. Sheehan. Dan Sheehan. I'm not sure, Dan. I'm sorry if it's Sheehan or Sheehan. I'm going to ask him about that. Uh, special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the living card animations that begin and end all of our shows. Uh, actually, this one was done by Sam, but Jeffrey also does the window behind us fairly often. Or he does them like he currently does them. He did them in the past, and we put them back there. Okay, I'm getting delirious because it's been two hours, and we've been talking for a long time. Everybody. <laughs> Thank you for joining us with all these commanders. And we will see you next time. Peace. Bye-bye. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> the Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. 
I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.